This is a free non-commercial podcast made possible by our patrons. Our patrons help keep these podcasts without jarring modern commercials. Thank you for supporting our program. If you want to become a patron to support our programs, you can. For as little as $1 a month, you can become a patron and receive special perks as a supporter of OTR Now. To become a patron, visit our webcast page at otrnow.com and click on the Patreon link. And thank you to all the patrons who have helped keep old-time radio alive. Reminiscing, I feel you near. Once more, you're my love of yesteryear. It's time for the OTR Now radio program. Featuring programs from the golden age of radio. And here's your host, Rick Radke. And welcome to the next three hours of old-time radio presented by the OTR Now radio program. Let's start off the program with The Charlie McCarthy Show from May 2nd, 1943. This program originated on NBC, but it's an Armed Forces radio broadcast. Charlie's grown a mustache in this episode, and the guest is Barbara Stanwyck. The makers of Chase and Sanborn Coffee and Tender Leaf Tea present Edgar Bergen, Bill Thompson, Ray Noble and his orchestra, Dale Evans, The Sportsman, our guest, Miss Barbara Stanwyck, and... Charlie McCartney. Hello, everybody. Hello, Dale. Hiya, Charlie. Uh, I'd kiss you hello, but I'm afraid my mustache might tickle you. (laughs) (laughs) Charlie, don't tell me you're growing a mustache. Yeah, that's the way it is. Yeah. Today I am a mess. I mean a man. (laughs) I decided to let it sprout. Haven't you noticed it? Well, I see a little fuzz, if that's what you mean. Yeah, but that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. I feel so distinguished. Don't don't I look like a man about town? No. You look more about a boy about 12. (laughs) Charlie, does Edgar know about this? No, he hasn't seen it yet. I want to surprise him. Well, he'll be surprised, all right. Yeah. Well, you and Ray go ahead with that uh, canteen bounce, and I'll go outside and wax it up a bit. You know? Well, all right. Just for feet, 
Bergen's in your mustache yet? No, not yet. No. Well, here he comes. Let's go show it to him, huh? Yeah. Well, Charlie, don't push me. Don't push me. Oh, Bergen. Yes, Charlie. Well. 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 <laughs> well. Well. How do you like it? <laughs> How do I like what? Well, can't you see something different about my face? Well, let me see. Look good. Yeah. <laughs> what did you do? Wash behind your ears? Yeah. Oh, nothing as drastic as that. No, I... Can't you see? Well, Charlie, what are you talking about? <coughs> well, look at it, Bergen. You can see it just as plain when you get it in the right light. You can. Yeah. <laughs> see what? What's oh, on my upper lip? What? Oh, Uncle Lip Letters. What? A kisser hedge. <laughs> <laughs> You mean a mustache? Yeah. Well, well. Yeah, just call me Bristlepuss. I see. <laughs> oh, fuzzy chops, that's me. <laughs> so you're growing a mustache? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> why, why should you want a mustache? Well, I've heard that uh, mustaches are very attractive to, uh, well, women of the opposite sex. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I see. So so now it's girls. Yeah, but no, none of that kid stuff, though. Oh, I see. No, no. I'm getting, uh, I'm getting interested in, uh, you know, more sophisticated women. I see. Women about 14 or 15. Oh. <laughs> well, Charlie, don't you think you, you're just a little bit too young to be growing a mustache? But, Bergen, it's, uh, it's nature. Oh, it is. Oh, it's life. You... You can't fight those things. I see. Don't you think that shaving three or four times a day will make my mustache grow faster? Well, I, I'm sure it will need something. Yes, I... Huh? Yeah. You ought to do something to encourage it. Yes, I maybe should put a little B1 on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't you try some of my hair tonic on your lip? Yeah. Your hair tonic? Yes. <laughs> oh, you amuse me. <laughs> You still believe, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Say, you know, Ray Noble has a mustache. Perhaps he can give you a few pointers on it. Yeah? Oh, Ray. Yes, go on, is it? Oh, we, we must ask you a question. Yes, Charlie. <laughs> How did you grow your mustache, Ray? <laughs> oh, mustache, yes. yes. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Charlie. Uh, as a matter of fact, I got it on the installment plan. On the installment plan? <laughs> yes. <laughs> a little down each week. Oh! <laughs> 
that's pretty bad, wasn't it? <laughs> well, did it take you very long to grow it, Ray? Oh, no, Egan, no. It came rather natural, if anything. Uh, you see, uh, the men in my family have uh, always sported, uh, shall we say, uh, her suit adornments. Oh, uh, her suit adornments? Her suit adornments. Huh? Well, twirl my toupee. <laughs> As a matter of fact, Charlie, my uncle for Simon had such a long beard that one day while running for a streetcar, his beard got in the way and he ran clear up to his chin before he could stop. Oh, Where no. do you get out of here? <laughs> and bring back some money, too. <laughs> you know, Charlie, the fact that you want to grow a mustache makes me feel a little bit sad. Well, why, Bergen? Well, maybe I'm being selfish, but I hate to see you grow up, Charlie. No. You hate to see me grow up? Yes, yes, I do. Well, what other direction could I go? No. <laughs> no, what I mean is I, I have a feeling that I'm losing my little boy. You see, Charlie, your pranks and your boyish laughter have kept me young. You mean that, Bergen? Yes, Charlie. You must realize, too, that, that I won't always be with you. What do you mean? Well, you know how I wait for you to come home from school and the fun we have? Yeah, we do have fun, don't we? Yes. Yeah. Well, of course, that, that won't always be. No? The time will come when you won't find me around the house. You mean you're going to work? No, no. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, at this moment, Bill Thompson, our noted news commentator, is in Gravel Knob, the capital of Flageria waiting to give us news of world importance. Through a special two-way hookup, we take you now to, to Flageria and Bill Thompson. <laughs> Hello, Edgar. Hello, America. Hello, Bill. How's everything in Flageria? Just fine, Edgar. This happens to be Flageria's national holiday, Donkey Neck Monday, which occurs immediately three Tuesdays before bus stop Thursday. <laughs> The ceremonies are now starting with a Flagerian band conducted by Herb Harmonic, who is a cousin of the noted American conductor, Phil Harmonic. <laughs> Here comes the band. That was that, uh, that, was that old black magic. <clears throat> the uh, Flagerian version, of course. I guess they're not ready yet. <clears throat> like they're young, caught in the door. Well, while we're waiting... We'll hear an address by the Honorable Garter T. Stumphead, who is the Minister of Popular Mechanics. As such, he is in the Flagerian Cabinet, the Honorable Stumphead. Well, I guess he can't get out of the Cabinet, so we'll continue. Hey, uh, uh, wait a minute, Bill. Uh, what was the Minister Stumphead, what was he going to talk about? Well, he was going to tell us about the main Flagerian industry, which at the moment is going at full speed. In fact, their business is tops. Uh, what do they manufacture? Tops. <laughs> We're ready with the news from the scientific front, Mr. Thompson. Well, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we take you now to the laboratory of the great Flagerian scientist, Professor Scalpel Sulfonilamids, who is in the midst of an experiment that will enable a beaver to talk. This is an extremely delicate operation. We must have complete silence. Uh, go ahead, Professor. Good evening. <laughs> I'm mixing up the serum now that... I hope we'll make this beaver talk. I got a little fat beaver here sitting on a board in front of me. It's a beaver board. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll, I'll just give him a shot of serum. Hold still, beaver. 
Easy now, steady. <laughs> there. Eh? That does it. All right, now, little fella, say something. Oh, come on now, darn it. Everybody's listening. You've got to say something. I just can't think of a thing to say. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you, Professor Sulfanilamitz. And now let's go back to see how the gremlins are getting along. Take it away, parachute top. Well, go ahead and yump. No, you yump. How oh, by yumping, you mean you yump that? No, no, sir. You yump first. You have the parachute on. Well, all right, then. Okay, sissy, here I go there. You yump. Well, they're still not ready, I guess. So in the meantime, we take you to Mambuzi, West Africa, where we hear a native tribesman sending messages by means of ancient jungle drums. Take it away, Africa. Anybody else got a message to send? Boy, I have. Will you send this one? Uh-uh, uh-uh, can't send this. Why not? Can't send no birthday greetings. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mambuzi. Ladies and gentlemen, as long as we're in Africa, let's hop over to Tunisia. Behind the Axis lines, we hear General von Sauerbraten addressing the men of the Afrika Corps. Eine Stellflight nach Afrika Corps. And the Africa Corner stood flight and the Africa Corner great. And he skied like a few weeks ago, the American General Eisenhower said he would push us into the sea. <laughs> he would push us into the sea. <laughs> well, what are we waiting for? Last one in is an old sausage. <laughs> Whenever she's in love, sings Dale Evans, it's always you. Whoever you may be, he's a lucky guy. Whenever I see a twilight, I watch till a star breaks through. Funny, it's not a star. I see it's always you. Whenever I roam through roses, and lately I often do. Funny, it's not a rose I touch. It's always you. If a breeze caresses me, it's really you strolling by If I hear a melody It's merely the way you sigh Wherever you are, you're near me Why you dare me to be untrue Funny each time I fall in love It's all
times like these, everybody's on the lookout for ways to step up efficiency. Our clothing, our food, everything we buy must measure up in terms of service. Now, on that score, Tenderleaf brand T-balls really take the palm. They're made to serve in days like these, to serve in more ways than one. American housewives call for them in preference to all other kinds because they're so superior. Yes, Tenderleaf brand T-balls are first choice of the nation. They bring you the delicious flavor of the small, young top tea leaves. The kind you get in Tenderleaf brand tea put up in packages, too. Those tender tea leaves are infinitely preferable to the older, coarser leaves for exquisite bouquet, the true tea fragrance, and for richness and satisfying flavor. In a word, they have everything tea lovers look for, in addition to their time-saving modern utility. Now, besides all that, they're made of tasteless filter paper. That's another big step forward. At the moment, the overwhelming popularity of Tenderleaf brand tea balls may cause your grocer to run out of stock sometimes. Now, if that happens, we hope you'll understand and cooperate. We'll be doing our best, too. So always ask for Tenderleaf brand tea or Tenderleaf brand tea balls. incident a few years ago. I was three days out from the boathouse in Central Park when our ship lost its rudder. We floundered for three days. It was some of the nicest flounder I ever tasted. Hello, Charlie. I was, uh, uh, well, hello, Barbara Stanley. Oh, Charlie, what do you know? Oh, things and stuff. What's new? Well, stuff and things. <laughs> I see you're the same old Charlie. Yeah. You know, I'll never forget the first time I met you. Oh, yes, yeah. Well, that's understandable, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a handsome blighter, ain't I? <laughs> Remember, Charlie, in those days your salary was only 75 cents a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, uh, what are you getting now? I, um... Now, uh, yeah. 75 cents. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know how you get along on it. Yeah. Are you making both ends meet? Well, yes, but as soon as I do, somebody moves the ends. <laughs> Charlie, I sympathize with you. you. I know what it's like to have the wolf at the door. Yeah. Oh, has Bergen been bothering you? <laughs> Charlie, what you need is a manager. A manager? Uh-huh. Me? Yes, just place yourself in my hands and I'll put you on a solid basis. Yeah. <laughs> you lean on the rocks. <laughs> no, no. You let me talk to Bergen and believe me, I'll get you a pretty penny. How about some ugly old dollars? Huh? <laughs> well, I'll get you some of those, too. Yeah? Why, Charlie, you're terrific. You're sensational. Yeah? You're dynamite. <laughs> Do you really think so? No, but that's the kind of hooey I'll hand Bergen. Oh. Yeah, well, now, wait a minute. No, no, I, let's I, not waste time. Huh? Is it a deal? Well, I don't know. Uh, okay, okay. Draw the verbal contract and I'll sign it. All right. Now, of course, uh, for my services, I... Uh, uh, yes? Well, uh, there's the question of money. 
Isn't there always? <laughs> what do you usually get for a shakedown like this? Oh, well, we'll divide it evenly. Good. 60-40. Yeah. What's even about that? Well, they're both even numbers. Oh, yeah, so they are, yeah. I suppose I get the 60, naturally. Uh, no. no? You get the 40. <laughs> That's very good. Whatever made me think I got the 60. <laughs> How silly. Yes, oh, never mind that. Let's get to work on Bergen. Yeah, okay. Bring on the old tight wad. Yeah, let's get the old cheapskate, huh? Hey, Bergen. Yes, Charlie? Come here. Meet my new manager, 60% Stanley. Oh, I see. <laughs> Your new manager. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Mr. Bergen, as Charlie's manager, I demand an increase in our allowance. Yeah. And we won't take no for an answer. We want dough, not no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just a moment. This comes as a rather a surprise. Uh, if you're surprised now, wait till you hear what we're asking. Uh, what are we asking? <laughs> we're asking for $10 a week. Ten dollars a week? Why, that's ridiculous. Mr. Bergen, let's not beat around the bush. My client, Mr. McCarthy, is the important member in this outfit. Yeah. What are you in this combination anyway? <laughs> Just a stooge. <laughs> this is the happiest moment of my life. <laughs> Do you realize how much you owe, Charlie? Yeah. Where would you be without me? Well, where would you be without me? Why, we... That darn thing never does come out right, does it? (laughs) (laughs) Miss Danvers, I'm afraid what you asked is out of the question. Oh, now, wait. Mr. Bergen, put yourself in my client's place. Haven't you ever needed money? Needed it so badly that you'd stoop to anything to get it? Well, yes, I have. All right, what did you do? He took up ventriloquism. Now, <laughs> never mind that. You... Edgar. Oh, Edgar, think of what may happen if you refuse to help this poor boy. Yes. For want of the bare necessities of life, why, why he may be forced to steal. So hungry. To become a hardened criminal. Yeah. An outcast. Nobody talks in here. No, an enemy of society. I'll be in jail or yes. Be... Yes, even a murderer. No. So long. Charlie, Charlie, where are you going? I'm going to give myself up, though. <laughs> you made a murder out of me, Bergen. Oh, oh you Charlie, did. come back here. <laughs> Mr. Bergen. <laughs> Mr. Bergen, do you realize my client would have walked out on you long ago? Yeah. If it weren't for his incredible loyalty and stupidity. That's telling him. Or is it? (laughs) Mr. Bergen, this is positively your last chance. Will you or will you not increase our allowance to $10? I will not. I knew it wouldn't work. Oh, don't worry, Charlie. I've got him going. Yeah, but in the wrong direction, you (laughs) Don't be silly. Don't give up, Charlie. We'll arbitrate. Uh, Settle for less. I know that. Now, uh, Mr. Bergen, uh, what will you give? Well, I might consider a 25-cent raise, but no more. Oh, 25 cents? Oh, did you hear that, Charlie? (laughs) Oh, I asked for a $10 increase, and he wants to give 25 (laughs) cents. That's pretty good. (laughs) Let's take it. Charlie, now you get a whole dollar a week. Woody, Woody. And I owe it all 
all to you, manager. Well, no, not all of it. Huh? Just 60%. Oh, yeah. That's right, just 60%. 60 cents, uh, and I get the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> wait a minute. Now, 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 now. That only gives me 40 cents a week now. That's right. <laughs> I've been taking like an aspirin here. <laughs> us again next week when Charlie and all of us will be on hand to greet our special guests, Victor Moore and Billy Gaxton, and the eminent psychologist and author of Let's Explore Your Mind, Dr. Albert Edward Wiggum. Ladies and gentlemen, this week, May 3rd to 9th, all over the United States and Canada, is National Restaurant Week. And this year, it has a special significance, which its sponsors sum up in this theme. For victory, work more, sleep more, eat well, be well. Buy more war bonds and stamps. Remember, National Restaurant Week, May 3rd to 9th. Saying goodnight from Hollywood, this is the National Broadcasting Company.
Do you think I shouldn't get in through television? I don't think so, Fred. I don't think so. You see, in radio, you get a break. Nobody sees you. People turn on their television set and bang. There's your foot right in their living room. You're listening to the OTR Now radio program. As you know, this is the OTR Now radio program. Our only job is to bring you old-time radio for the next, well, we got about two and a half hours left. Grand Marquis was a Chicago-originated show. Jim Amici stars in this program from August 21st, 1947. It's called Haunt Me a House. The National Broadcasting Company's Grand Marquis. Grand Marquis, lighted by stars, twinkling, glowing, blazing with myriad lights and colors against the night sky. The National Broadcasting Company's mammoth billboard announces another exciting evening in the world of make-believe. Tonight, the Grand Marquis announces a gay and fantastic comedy drama by Mary McSkimming and Ralph Hunter entitled Haunt Me a House, starring Jim Amici. But before the curtain rises, here's a greeting and a word of introduction from our star himself, Jim Amici. George Stone, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You might call tonight's play an adventure in the world of make-believe, that strange world where houses are actually available if you're not too particular where you live. Anyway, it all began the day Larry and Helen set out to sell a house, a feat which is truly remarkable when there are really no houses for sale. Please, Larry, not so fast. I can't keep up with you. A real estate man... Starving right in the middle of a real estate boom. All because I can't get a house to sell. Well, you sold one house in the past year. Uh-huh. Our own house. Yeah. Oh, Larry, wouldn't it be wonderful if, say, we were walking along like this and suddenly saw a nice, substantial-looking house? Yeah, in a quiet suburban neighborhood like this, all shaded with trees. Yes, handy to transportation and all modern improvements. Empty and just waiting for a live real estate man to take over, and with a big, beautiful sign. That said, for sale by owner, so you know no other agent had it. You know, like, like that sign over there. Oh, yeah. And just that kind of a house, too, so I get... Hey... Hey, Helen. Don't interrupt our daydream. Daydream nothing. Look, that house. Why, Mary, just what we were talking about, even the sign. Come on, we're going to see the owner. We're back in business. How's that for a for sale sign? With your name as agent. Oh, Larry, wasn't he the loveliest man you ever dreamed of? So polite and so eager to have you handle the sale of his house. Yeah, that's what got me wondering. You suppose he thought we were going to buy the place instead of just selling it for him on a commission basis? Oh, of course not. Well, look at the contract he gave you. You have the exclusive sales rights for the next 30 days. Yeah, I can't see any catch in it, but... With houses so scarce, why'd he say, if you can sell that house, mister, I'll give you 20% commission? Oh, well, maybe he thought since the house is bigger than usual, the commission ought to be bigger, too. Uh, 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 I hate to disappoint you, dear, but real estate deals don't work that way. Oh, well, maybe he just liked your big, 
plain honesty. Uh. <laughs> anyway, what do we care as long as we get the 20%? Well, we don't. Unless... Unless what? Well, I got a feeling that... Oh, never mind. Larry. Larry. What? What is it? I feel eyes. You feel what? Eyes on the back of my neck. Well, probably a loose hairpin tickling. It is not. You know how it is when someone's looking at you and you can't see him. You just now know that you're it's... just imagining. Wait. There is no fellow looking at us over the hedge. Say, he's coming over here. Oh, Larry, maybe he wants to buy the house. Hello. You folks looking for somebody? Well, not exactly. You see, I'm Larry Adams, real estate man. I'm going to sell this house. See, yes, so if you're interested, then maybe you'll just... One at a time now. One at a time. You're going to what? I'm going to sell this house. How's that again? I said I was going to sell the house. Sell the house. No need to shout about it. I heard you the first time. (laughs) Jim Schultz is the name. I'm the watchman. Say, you know, you two are pretty lucky at that. If you mean our having this house to sell, we are lucky. Swatter said. Swatter said. Lucky you got it to sell. Just think if you had to live in it. Why, what's wrong with it? Nothing. I ain't never put no stock in all the crazy talk that's going around. But what's the talk about? I told you. Nothing. Nothing you can put your finger on anyway. Come to think of it, though, you can't put your finger on any ghost, can you? It's a ghost. Oh, ho, 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 I get it. Haunted, huh? <laughs> Thank goodness. I thought maybe there was something wrong with the plumbing. No, that would be easy. But with hands, uh, ain't no way you can handle hands. Well, though. I'll handle them. If there are any spooks in there and they like the place, I'll sell it to them. You'll do what? He said he'd sell, sell it to them. Sell it to them, yes. Well, it's your neck if you want to stick it out. <laughs> Yep, I remember another fellow that talked like that. Oh, Larry, maybe he's right. We don't want any trouble. And we're not going to have any. If the ghosts won't buy the place themselves, they'll have to move out because I'm going to have a customer moving in. Yep, yep, yep. Sounds just like the other fellow. Well, I'll be getting along. I wouldn't be caught dead in this place. And something tells me you could be. Why don't we go back to the apartment? We've been at this house all day. Yes, and got two hot prospects already. Come on, let's take another look inside. Mmm, dark. Yes, well, let's come back in the morning. Now, come on. Mary, I can't. Something's holding me back. Will you quit kidding? I'm not kidding. Mary, quit. You're just dragging me back. How could... Well, of all the... Look at your purse. You caught the handle on the doorknob. Oh. Phew. Well, I I could have sworn something had me by the arm and was dragging me away. Sometimes I wish that had happened on our way to the altar. Larry Adams. Why, Larry Adams, I ought to... Oh, Hella. Shh. Stand right where you are. Hmm? There's something moving behind that drape. Why, there's a... Oh, Oh, there is. Come on, quick. There's no use running. We we see you there. Now come out or I'll I'll shoot. Shoot? What are you shooting with? I'll make him think I've got a gun. All right, I'm gonna count to three. What if it's anyone we know? Hand me that vase, I'll throw it. One, two, 
Three. Oh, it's a cat. Why, Mary Adams. What did I tell you? Letting your imagination run away with you. to be back in the apartment knowing we won't have to go back to that scary place again. Oh, I told you I'd sell it. It took me only a week, too. Those first prospects fell through, but the minute Mr. Montgomery saw it... Hello? Oh, yes, Mr. Montgomery. I was just going to bring the papers over. Well, there he's taking you. Oh, uh, what? But, Mr. Montgomery, you said... Well, but, but even so, that doesn't mean that... Well, that, 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 that's ridiculous. Oh, no, no, I, I'm, I'm not doubting your word, but common sense should tell... Yeah, I see. Yes. Yes, okay, Mr. Montgomery. Goodbye. Oh, Larry, don't tell me that he... Yes, just like the others. For the 50th time, we've got that spook-invested pavilion back in our hands. But Montgomery said he'd buy it. Why, they even moved in. That was my mistake. I should have gotten the money first. Oh, well, what happened this time? Just three hours after they moved in, they started hearing the clanking of chains and footsteps coming from nowhere. Oh, why don't we just give it up? What? Eating? You know what I mean. What good does it do having a house to sell if the ghost and it keeps scaring the customers away? Hmm... You're right. As long as the... Say, say, I've got it. Got what? The solution. Start packing, honey. We're going to move in that house ourselves and scare the ghosts away. Come in. Uh, no, Larry, that was me knocking on wood. Oh, no. Look, you said you'd act sensible out here. For the umpteenth time, I tell you, there's no such thing as ghosts. Now, let's forget it. I'm trying to read. Larry. Larry. Yes? Do you think it'll come again tonight? Do I think what will come again? That thing. That thing that clanks around upstairs while we're downstairs. I hope it does. Because if it does, I'll get it if it's the last thing I do. But Larry. Now, look, there's nothing to be afraid of. Then, why are we whispering? I don't know why we're whispering. <laughs> why do we do any of the silly things yeah, we do? Yeah, Tamper, just because your nerves are on edge... My nerves are not on edge. This is a perfectly normal, peaceful living room. We're perfectly normal, peaceful people. If you insist on imagining... <laughs> I am your host, the ghost. Mary. Friends, have you tried silky smooth sandpaper to banish goose pimples and leave you with that rough, outdoorish look? Now, who turned that radio on? I did when you said you wanted to read. It just takes a little time to warm up. Did it just startle you, dear? Oh, no. No, I always tremble this way. <laughs> oh, Larry, what are we going to do? We need that commission. Crap chance of getting it. I see now why he offered me 20%. Oh, then you finally admit that it is all... I admit nothing except that a lot of silly rumors are keeping me from selling a perfectly good house. But, Larry, we heard those noises ourselves. We've heard them every night. There you go. That's exactly the kind of rattle-brain chattering I mean. Why, every screwball in the country knows about this place by now. This, uh, this letter's an example. From the Hands Across the Psychic Void Society. What did they want? Just this place for their headquarters. Said they heard it was 
suited for their unusual work. Honestly? Well, let me see the letter. Oh, okay, if you want to waste your time on... Oh, I guess I left it at the apartment. All I've got is the envelope. Oh, well, let me see that. Hmm. Uh, some hands across the Psychic Void Society. 2107... Say, this is exciting. Yes, it would be to you. Now, let's just settle down. Larry, do you hear that noise? That settles it. If that sound is in this house, I'll find it if I have to tear the place down. Come on. You think I'm going... Uh, Larry, wait, I'm coming. Sounds like it's coming right from the head of the stairs. Say, look. Huh? I thought we left that bedroom door open when we came down. We did. Remember, you purposely went back to open it. And now it's closed. Maybe... Larry, it's coming in there. Come on, come on, let's get out of... no. We're going to settle this here and now. Get in back of me. We're going in there. There is somebody. Drop that chain and... Schultz! It's the night watchman. All right. Start explaining. I reckon you're the one to do the explaining, sneaking in on me. Of all the low conniving tricks. Not even knocking, not even... Well, we didn't mean to. Ellen, cut it out. We're in the right. I shouldn't even listen to his story before calling the police. Before doing what? He said before calling I the police. I know what he said. I ain't dead. <laughs> Go ahead, call the police. I'm supposed to be here on these premises. Here's my watchman's permit right here. Fine, fine. Now show us your permit to rattle chains and moan like a banshee. Well, might as well tell you, might as well tell you. I had to do it. Either that or break up the club. What club? Well, a bunch of us boys sort of get together and play pinochle and swap lies. Been meeting here. Only vacant place here is in the whole darn neighborhood. Oh, oh, I get it. If we sold the place, that'd mean... Sure, no place for us boys to go of an evening. Oh, then it was you all the time. There really isn't a ghost. Ghosts? Lady, if there was a ghost, Jim Schultz would have been out here in this place here long ago. On the dead run. <laughs> what did I tell you, Helen? There had to be a simple explanation. We'll have a new owner in this place tomorrow, now that the great mystery is solved. Well, all right, but you can't tell me that some of those noises weren't the real thing. Ghosts, I mean. And now, Mr. Schultz, if you've finished your haunting... Sorry, but I ain't got no time to be gossiping with you. I've got to get along and break the bad news to the boys. Yes, uh, that's what I meant. And if you meet any other spooks, will you tell them we're not at home? What's that? I said, if you see bad any... Bad habit you got, young fella. Bad habit. Always repeating yourself. <laughs> sure, I'll tell Oh, at last. Now we can sell this place. And what a sense. No more ghosts. No more dragging of chains. No more mysterious... Oh, no. Oh, it couldn't be. I, I saw Schultz leave. There, there, there. There is a ghost. Now, Helen, there's no use going all to pieces. There's an explanation for this. There has to be. I bet there's an explanation. This house is haunted. You can't talk me out of it this time, and you can't blame the watchman either. But it doesn't make sense. I was out here in the hall almost before the noise stopped. There was no one on the stairs, no one in the hall, and the front door's locked. And no place where anyone could possibly have hidden. Doesn't have to be. Ghosts are invisible. Oh, that's ridiculous. All right, then. If it wasn't a ghost, what was it? Well, it was... It was... Well, I don't know what it was. I'm not going to try to figure it out tonight. Come on, let's call it a day before I... Terry. Terry, do you hear that? 
Somebody out on the porch. Well, maybe it's someone who saw that for sale sign. Wait, Larry. Now, I'm not going to have you out there facing a visitor from the other world. Now, wait. Just because somebody came up on our porch... Well, maybe I ought to take this poker along, though. You, you don't have to go out. It's coming in. Stop calling it it. Could be something human, I, I hope. Oh, no, no. It'll be something sort of misty and ethereal. It'll look at us with horrible eyes and then... Quick, get behind me. Oh, dear, pardon me. I I just wanted to see if anyone was home. <laughs> uh, goodness, you, you are, aren't you? It uh, does look that way, doesn't it? Oh, you're alive. Uh, alive? Uh, well, yes, if you count breathing and paying taxes, I am. Well, what was it you wanted? I, uh, I hate to disturb you, but uh, that for sale sign out in front... Oh, you mean you're interested in buying the house? Why, of course he means oh. that. Come right in. Only too glad to show you what a wonderful bargain oh, you... Oh, I, I, I better wait. Uh, you see, my mother-in-law... Wilbur? Is, uh, that... Uh, yes... That's her. Oh, well, you shouldn't have made her wait outside. Made her? Oh, goodness, you don't know my mother-in-law. Oh, dear, here she comes. Wilbur, I thought I told you to call me if they were home. Can't I trust you? <laughs> oh, hello. You people own this place? Uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm the agent for it, Mrs. Uh... Clump. Agnes B. Clump. Now, I'm even getting right down to business. I'm interested in leasing this property. Leasing it? Oh, wouldn't you be interested in buying it? You know, values are going up. Young man, are you trying to tell me what to do? Do you or don't you want to lease this place? Well, he doesn't. He doesn't, I know. You see, Now, he, wait, uh, Helen. At least we'd get some money out of a lease and, uh... Well, yes, I do want to lease it. Well, that's better. I won't decide tonight. I have another prospect to look at in the morning. Uh, but, Mother, uh, don't you think maybe if we wait... Well, but easily, there's nothing to wait for. Uh, now, I've made up our minds. <laughs> It's no sense my paying rent on one apartment and you and Lucy paying on another. But Lucy and I have been getting along all right for years. I told you it was settled. You and Lucy are coming to live with me. Uh, well, young man, are you going to show us the house? Oh, you'll like the house. Uh, that is, if you aren't... Uh, oh, but I'm sure you're not. Not what? Uh, why, Helen, I, I... why don't you go and read a good book while I show them the house? Well, I just thought I ought to I'm sure you. you two will want to see the kitchen first. Now, it's right through this handy little hall and chock full of the latest improvements. And also, there's lots of covered space, and here's your beautiful tile sink and the double drain board. In fact, everything. Oh, oh dear. Uh, what, what was that? That? Oh, uh, mice. Mice? Well, uh, just a couple of them, of course. Don't, don't be frightened. Young man, I'm not afraid of any living thing, and I've seen enough of the house. I'll let you know in the morning. Uh, Mother, I'll... I still think it would be better if Lucy and Wilbur. I... Wilbur. I've told you about thinking. Uh. <laughs> now, come along. We've spent enough time here. Uh, yes, ma'am. I'll come. Goodness, sometimes I get so homesick. You mean for your old boyhood home? No, just homesick. Sick of home, because she's always there. <laughs> Now, look, Helen, when Mrs. Clump gets here, don't start those mysterious hints about something being wrong with the house. But, Larry, she only wants to lease the place. I thought you were going to sell it. So did I, before those screwy noises started. 
noises no one can explain. But that's just it. If you wait a little while, then... Oh, oh there's oh. Mrs. Clump now. I'm done waiting. I'll get some commission from the lease instead of losing everything. Now, remember, no kibitzing. Uh, hello? Oh, it's Mr. Teasley. Uh, yes. Uh, please, I-, I-, I want to talk to you before Mother gets here. Uh, she's parking the car. She uh, hasn't changed her mind about leasing the place. Oh, dear, no. That'll be too good. Uh, that's what I want to see you about. Uh, please, tell her she can't have the house. All right, we'll be We will to... not. I'm sorry, Mr. Teasley, but if I don't lease it to your mother-in-law, well, there, there goes my commission. Uh, yes, and if we have to move in with my wife's mother, there goes my happy home. Well, look, Mr. Teasley, why don't you buy the house? We could arrange payments Oh, and... it isn't the money. I have that. But even if I bought it, Lucy's mother would still move in with us. But if we don't lease her this house, she'll oh, just... Oh, no, she can't. She's looked all over, and there isn't another one in town. Oh, Larry, maybe you should... Oh, oh here she comes now. Good, good. Now, remember, Helen, I'll do the talking. Ah, yeah. uh, good evening, Mrs. Clump. Never mind the evening. Let's get down to business. I'm ready to sign the lease. Oh, that's wonderful. We were just beginning to think we were stuck with a lemon. <laughs> she, uh, she means the, uh, the old lemon squeezer in the kitchen doesn't work. She uh, keeps worrying about it, but we'll, we'll replace it, of course. No, Larry, I meant about the spooks. I... Oh, the spoons. Yes, the spoons. Oh, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty enough for three people. Uh, Mother, won't you please reconsider? Wilbur, did I ask your advice? Um... Young man, perhaps if you and I could step into the library where we could sign the lease without interruption. Oh, we never go in there after dark. The library's just... Just the place to discuss business. Yes, fine, Mrs. Clump, if you'll just come this way. I know you want to get this business settled. Now, if you'll just sign here on this line... Oh, no, no. Agnes B. Clump don't go around signing things without reading them. Now, let's see. The party of the first part. What's that noise upstairs? Huh? Uh, Upstairs? Oh, uh, what noise? That noise, like a chain dragging. Oh, oh, chain. Well, that, uh, that's mm, next door. Yes, next door. The house on our right in the uh, garage. The man's working on his car. But that noise was from the left and overhead. It was. I, I mean, it, it's the acoustics. Very unusual acoustics in this house. Seems to throw the sound all over to the left and up. Oh. I suppose the acoustics threw that, too? That? Oh, oh no, that's a... Uh, Probably youngsters in the neighborhood. <laughs> Playful little fellas. Ooh. I'll stop that sort of thing once I moved in. Now, let's see. Where was I? Oh, yes. The party the first part of... Who in the world is that? Uh, my wife. Yes, Helen. Young man, you're trembling. And that isn't your wife. Unless she's wearing snowshoes. I'm going to see. Now, uh, wait, Mrs. Plumpy. It, it might be... Why? There, there's no one out here. But there must be. Uh, I mean... Well, of course not. But those footsteps. What happened to him? To, to him? Yes, the person who came down those stairs, if there was a person. Now, please, Mrs. Clump. Don't you, Mrs. Clump, me. No human being came down those stairs, and if it wasn't a human being... But you said you weren't afraid of... I said I wasn't afraid of anything that breathes, that's alive. But a body that's not a body. Just a cantankerous spirit floating around with, without any skin. Oh, you, 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 you're being hasty. Hasty? When you're leaving a haunted house, you can't be too hasty. But the, the, the lease. Lease this place? Why, I'd as soon move in with the, the hound of the Baskervilles. Good night. Oh, my last chance to... If I could get my hands on whatever is making that noise. There it is again. This time I'll get it if it kills me. 
Okay. I see you up there. Stand still or... Helen. I... I, uh... Hello, dear. Helen. Look at me. That noise on the stairs. Did you... Don't let Mrs. Clump hear. Mrs. Clump has gone away. For good. She wouldn't lease this house if we paid her. Oh. Oh, well, then I won't have to use this other roller skate. Roller skate? Yes, yes. I just put it on the top step like this and give it a little shove like this and then... You... You mean... But I'd have seen the skate. Oh, no, no. That's the clever part. Look... When it reaches the bottom, it rolls right under the umbrella stand, and then the hall is empty again. You, my own wife, was bad enough when that lunatic of a night watchman put on his axe, but my own wife? Why? In the name of common sense, why? I did it for you, dear. For me? Yes. You've ruined my only chance of making any money out of this madhouse. You chased Mrs. Clump away. Of course I had to. She was only going to lease the place, and we've got to sell it to make money. Sell it to who? Whom, dear? Whom? Why, to the association, of course. You know, the hands across the psychic void. What have they got to do with it? They're going to buy it. I wrote them and told them they could. Remember they wrote and asked you about it? Well, then I got their address off the envelope, and I said... Oh, no. Do you know what was in that letter, the one that was in the envelope? Yes, you told me they wanted this place for their headquarters. Wanted it, yes. As a gift. That letter said they were sure we'd be glad to donate this house to their worthy cause. You mean... Oh, Larry, I don't see what keeps you from murdering me. Because I don't want you haunting me. (laughs) Well, that washes us up for good. We might as well pack up and get out of here. Oh, but now that you know there aren't any ghosts, maybe you can really sell it. Yes, if there was any time. But do you remember what day it was that we took this deal on? Oh, let me see. It was, uh... I was just about to go today. Right. Thirty days. I lose the sales privilege tomorrow morning, and the owner said he was through fooling with it. Either I sold it during those 30 days, or he's going to tear down the house and put in a parking lot. And the 30 days are up. I should have known. Even if that gag with the roller skates fooled me, I should have gotten wise when I heard that chain rattling. Chain? I didn't rattle any chains. Now, look, Helen. We're all done with it. Let's not start again. You were rattling chains. Mrs. Clump and I both heard it. Sorry, look at me. I know I've been awful, but I give you my solemn, honest word. I never touched a chain. You you mean there's still something in this house that... (gasps) And it's coming in. I hope it's a ghost. I hope it's the scariest spook that it... Oh, it's Mr. Teasley. If you're looking for your mother-in-law, she's gone. (laughs) My, she was scared, wasn't she? (laughs) And when your wife sent that roller skate down the stairs... (laughs) Oh, then you know about it? Oh, my, yes. Oh, but, uh, Mr. Teasley, um, there was more to it than the roller skate. There were... Chains. Uh, yes, I know. Wasn't that lucky? I just happened to find them in the closet. You, you found them? <laughs> and the way she skedaddled out that front door, oh, I'll remember that as long as I live in this house. As long as you live in this house? Yes. Lucy and I will love it here. Now, wait. 
We can't have you as a guest because this isn't our house. Uh, you... You mean I can't buy it? I mean just what I say. Buy it? Uh, yes. Here, I've got the check all made out. Oh, Larry, look. $19,000. When I think of Lucy and I alone in our little haunted house. Oh, but it, it isn't haunted. You know yourself. Oh, yes. I know. And you know. But she doesn't, you mean? <laughs> yes, the only place in the world where my mother-in-law won't come. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jim Amici again. We hope you enjoyed tonight's story. Next week's Grand Marquis is a romantic South American comedy of a young love involving a gay caballero from Colombia and a very romantic maid from Manhattan. So try to be with us, won't you, when Grand Marquis presents Virginia Safford Lynn's Wedding in Colombia. Good night. original play, Haunt Me a House, was written by Mary McSkimming and Ralph Hunter and produced by Norman Felton. Jim Amici played Larry and Muriel Bremner played Helen. Others in the cast were Cliff Subir, Hope Summers, and Johnny Coons. Your announcer is George Stone. The orchestra was conducted by Joseph Colicchio with original music composed by Emil Soderstrom. Listen again next week when Grand Marquis will again blaze with light and color High in the gay airways, inviting you to join our audience for a performance of Wedding in Columbia, starring Jim Amici. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Hello, everybody. This is Radio's Wally Baloo on uh, one of our principal thoroughfares, getting the opinions of people on radio today, what radio means to them. Sir, I wonder if I could speak with you for just a moment. Yeah. My name's Wally Baloo. We're on the radio. I've heard of you. I'll just refer to you as Mr. X, if I may. Well, that's good, because that's my name. Uh, sir, do you listen to the radio very much? Oh, you've got the wrong guy. I'm a, I'm a TV man. No, uh, -huh. uh very little radio. Well, I tell you, I have a clock radio that gets me up in the morning. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, Listen a little bit yeah, before I, breakfast while you're right. shaving. While I'm shaving, and then I get the time and the weather and uh, the traffic and what to look for and from a radio. But you you commute to work? Uh, I drive in. What kind of work do you do? I'm a shrimp diviner in one of the big restaurants here in town. I, interesting. Uh, I take uh, the shrimp and I take that black thing out of yes, it. Yes, yes. And I put that in a separate dish from the, uh, the shrimp I've just cleaned. And I have a... A little radio by the black dish where I put the other stuff. I have a little radio there to play music in the background. Well, I suppose you'd kind of go crazy uh, debating trip all day if you didn't have something to listen to. That's and right. It's pretty uh, pretty tiring. Uh, at the end of the day, I don't suppose you'd go home and ask your wife for a shrimp cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> no, they always say that. They always say, I bet you hate shrimp. Yeah. And, uh, actually, uh, it's not 
the case. I, I like shrimp. I still like to eat them. Isn't that interesting? You say you drove home. Do you listen to the radio when you drive in? Yeah, well, I, I'm, uh, you know, I want to get a line in up on car. the traffic. And yeah. Like now, after dinner, uh, that's when you watch TV, huh? Not, not as a rule. I'm, uh, I'm quite a hobbyist. Uh, I have a shop down in the basement. I like to go down there and make things uh, out of oh. glass, bottles, wood, ships. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I like to shellac fish. Yes, I've, uh, I've seen them out on the wall. things of that sort. I've uh, shellacked uh, 12 dozen uh, shrimp and put it on a plaque. And it's really pretty. Isn't it? It's nice. Uh, can you watch TV while you're working in your shop? No, I have a little radio down there where I listen to music and the news. As I How many hours of, of an evening do you put well, in Well, see, I go down there after dinner about 8 o'clock, and uh, I come up around after the 11 o'clock news and head to bed. Head for the right. sack. Well, sir, you've uh, given me a pretty good account of your entire day, and I don't know whether you know it or not, but uh, you've listened to radio from about the time you get up until you go to bed, and no mention of TV. When do you watch television? I've never missed a football game on the tube. The world is listening to OTR Now. Welcome back to the OTR Now radio program, and let's get right into this episode of Border Patrol. We don't have a date for this program. Call the man who came back. Here comes the Border Patrol. Here's your license, Mister. This is utter nonsense. Well, I'm very sorry, lady. 
Indeed. But we have a job to do. Thank you very much. Sorry to have bothered you. I suppose we may go now. Drive on, James. Well, what an experience. Well, let's stop in for something that time. Yeah, of course, these people with $5,000 cars and uniformed chauffeurs can't realize that we've caught some of our worst alien smugglers using just that kind of camouflage. Yeah, I remember the time those jets. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Uh, here comes the... Uh, yeah. Thanks. Coupe coming up now. It's all covered with dust. I can't think of the lights to say. There's one fellow in it. I'll talk to him. Okay. Evening, officer. What can I do for you? Border Patrol, mister. Have you been across the border? No, I've been visiting friends in Yuma. What's your name? Farley. Father. Charles Farley. Do you mind if I see your license? Of course not. Here you are. Okay, thanks. Oh. State of Washington, eh? Heading back to Seattle now? That's right. Uh, mind if I have a look in the back here? Help yourself. You'll find it open. Okay. Hmm, funny. No luggage back here. Sure. Okay, Mr. Farley. Thanks. Have a nice trip. You know that coupe, Thomas? Well, not particularly. Uh, been busy. Moose has got a truckload of Mexicans he's checking. Savage's been awful heavy. Well, that coupe was heavily coated with dust. And evidently the driver, Farley his name was, just had the back open. Because there are fresh marks all over it. But no luggage there. Yeah, sure looks like a walk-around, doesn't it? It sure does. And that fellow would fit the description of one of the birds in that lookout notice you brought in. What do you think? Shouldn't one of us stay here and hold down the watch point while yeah, you... Yeah, I'll take the car and go ride her down. Okay, and listen, if traffic lets up so that Moose can handle it alone, I'll be along. Here? Okay. Damage that rumble seat and you'll pay for it, mister. 
to the OTR Now radio program. This program is called the Sportsman's Club, often known as Grantland Rice Sports. This episode, The Phantom Drive, is a great story about a dead sports writer and a dead tennis champ who returned to Earth for one more tournament. This episode is from March 11, 1944. Let's listen. Saturday afternoon and time for another sports story selected for you by Grantland Rice. Yes, Saturday afternoon is yarn-spinning time down at the Sportsman's Club, where the sport fans meet each week with the Dean of American Sports Writers, Grantland Rice. (laughs) 
Grant and Rice has covered all the big sporting events of the past 30 years and can settle most of the arguments that flourish in these sessions of the Hot Stove League. Granny Rice not only knows the fans and knows the sports, but he's made a hobby of collecting good sports stories, and he shares them with his friends these Saturday afternoons. So join us now at the Sportsman's Club for another of the favorite sports stories of Grantland Rice. Granny? Great champions seem to come in bunches, don't they? Oh, I don't know. How do you figure, Bill? Now, look, Steve, I put the question out for Granny Rice, not you. <laughs> okay. What do you say, Granny? Well, Bill, there's a lot to be said for your opinion. Certainly the best uh, post-war 20s were the golden age of sport. Jack Dempsey was in his prime. Babe Ruth was smacking him over the wall every day or so. Bobby Jones was playing the greatest golf of his career. And Bill Tilden was playing a greater game of tennis than we've ever seen before or since. Big Bill Tilden. Boy, I can see those cannonball drives right now. Oh, they were dynamite. But did you ever know that Bill Tilden, William T. Tilden II, would also write a swell sports story? Oh, I didn't know that. Me either. I never heard about that. Well then, fellas, just sit back and listen to The Phantom Drive by William T. Tilden II, which I'm bringing you today with his permission and the permission of the American Lawn Tennis Association. It's a strange setting for a sports story, but here's the way Bill Tilden tells it. The story begins just inside the pearly gates, and as our scene opens, Smith, Smith of England, the old tennis champion of 20 years ago, sits on a cloud, idly plucking at his heavenly harp, and now a fellow spirit approaches him. Excuse me, brother, may I talk to you for a minute, eh? Oh, yes, of course, sir. Pull up a cloud, my dear fellow. Oh, thanks. Uh, I'm new here. Just got in. Well, well, delighted to see you, old man. Thanks. Just thought you might give me a few pointers, how to get around and all that sort of stuff. Oh, you find it all quite simple, my dear chap. Things just come to you. Yeah? Well, uh, for instance, now, do I rate one of those harps? Oh, yes, indeed. They're standard equipment. Where do you get them? Why, you should have received your harp just inside the main gates as you entered. The main gates? Oh, that's it. I guess I must have come through the press gate. <laughs> you see, I'm a sports writer. Sports writer? Dear me, are they letting them in now? And what's the matter with that, pal? Oh, oh not, not, nothing at all, old man. Uh, forgive me, I, I'm sure there must be several worthy sports writers. I don't like <clears throat> bum cracks. Nor do overlook it, please. Here, uh, would you like to try my harp while you're waiting for your own? No, no, thanks. I don't know how to play one anyway. You do now. What do you mean, I do now? Yeah, take the harp. Try. Yeah? You mean I can play without taking lessons? <laughs> Let me see that thing. Say, this is all right. I like this. I find it very restful. Continue, my dear fellow. Thanks. Say, I've got to get me one of these things. Here, thanks a lot. Oh, not at all. You seem to have a certain flair, old man. I don't believe I've ever heard the harp played quite that way. Yeah? Well, thanks. You know, I got a funny feeling I've seen you somewheres. That's so? Yeah. My name is Guffy, Bill Guffy of the New York Star. I mean, uh, formerly of the New York Star. That mean anything to you? No. No, I I'm afraid not. That's funny. I'm pretty good on names and faces. You've been... Uh, 
You've been here long? Uh, no, um, a mere 20 years or so, I believe. Yeah? Say, you didn't tell me your name. It's Smith. 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 Hmm. Wait a minute. I've got it. You're the Smith. The Smith? Sure, Smith, the champion. The greatest tennis player of all time. Why, I saw you at Wimbledon. You're the old champion. I am? Why, yes, so I am. You know, Mr. Guffey, I... I completely forgotten. Yeah? How could you forget that? Man, you were terrific. Terrific? Why, yes, so I was. It's coming back to me now. Why, you were miles ahead of the other guys. Of course, I, I knew something was missing. Missing? What do you mean? My dear Mr. Guffey, I'll confide in you. I was telling Benjamin Franklin just the other year. Heaven hasn't been quite heaven to me. No? No, I've missed something. Now I know what it is. It's my old tennis racket. I remember now, I, I gave it to a young American I defeated at Wimbledon just before I... Um, before I arrived here. Wait a minute, hold it. Twenty years ago at Wimbledon, that would be Dick Thomas, one of the greatest players in America. He was champ for years. You beat him in the finals. Thomas, yes, it was Thomas. Oh, if I could have that racket now, I, I'd want nothing else. Well, I suppose it's been broken and thrown away by now. No, it hasn't. It hasn't? Oh, how can you be sure? Mr. Smith, I've seen that racket. You've seen it? A hundred times. It's in a glass case on the wall of the West Side Tennis Club in Forest Hills, Long Island. It is? Mr. Guffey, we must get that racket. But how can we get away, Mr. Smith? Oh. Oh, I, I'd forgotten that. Yes, to be sure. I'm not really eligible for a pass for about two centuries more. Still, you ought to have that racket. And look, I just remembered, the National Singles Championship is due to start at Forest Hills. I was supposed to cover it. Actually? That settles it, Mr. Guffey. You and I shall go to Forest Hills. We'll pick up my racket, see a few matches, and be back in no time at all. That suits me, Mr. Smith. I'll pick up my harp and meet you at the gate. Splendid, Mr. Guffey. Name? Uh, Bobby Whitlock, sir. Whitlock? Oh, yes, glad you're here. You play Mr. Thomas on the championship court at 3 o'clock. Your locker is right over there, 309. Oh, oh, thank you, sir. Name? Uh, Johnson, Steve Johnson. Your locker's 508. Here's your key. Uh-huh. Uh, pardon me, sir. Uh, may I uh, share this bench? Certainly. Sit down, son. Oh, thank you. Playing in the tournament? Uh, yes, but I don't think I'll stay. Hey. Oh, gee, look at that. Oh, what's the matter? My racket. Three strings are broken. They must have just snapped. Well, that's tough. Have you got another racket? No, I haven't. This is one my father gave me. An English racket. Uh, well, I didn't have much chance anyway. I drew Thomas in the first round. Thomas? Uh, he's not so tough. Oh, he's awfully good. <laughs> I'm Thomas. You, you're Dick Thomas? Now, listen... Yeah, we're going to do something about that racket. Here, look at this one of mine. Oh, oh, I couldn't take one of yours, sir. Try it. No, no, it won't do. It's too heavy for you. Let's see your own racket. Here. Tim, that's an old one. Oh, yes, sir. My father's. Uh, George! George! Yes, Mr. Thomas? Uh, George, will you run upstairs, please, and get that racket I had put in the glass case? Uh, the one that's on exhibition, sir? Yeah, that's the one. Bring it right down here, please. Okay, all right, sir. I'll get it right away. Now, son, your worries are over. I'm getting you a racket just like your own. Oh, gee, you shouldn't have done that. Well, son, you're going to play with the only racket that could beat me at Wimbledon 20 years ago. It belonged to Smith. You ever hear of Smith? Smith? Smith, the old champion? Mm -hmm. 
We can grab the 8th Avenue subway and be out there in 25 minutes. My dear Guffey, you, you keep forgetting. Huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we don't have to worry about subways, do we? Naturally not. Come, shall we go on to Forest Hills? Sure, why not? Just lead the way, Mr. Smith. Hey. Hey, we're here already. Well, well, this seems like old times. Who pays the first match, Mr. Guffey? I don't know. Let's float up in the stands and take a look at a newspaper. Very well. I beg your pardon. You needn't snatch my paper. Snatch your paper? I didn't even touch your paper. What did it say, Mr. Guffey? It said... Richard Thomas opens tennis classic against Whitlock. Thomas? My old opponent. Splendid. And who is Whitlock, Mr. Guffey? Uh, just a kid, about 18 years old. First time he's been in a big tournament. He's got lots of class, though. Well, well, will you look up there in the press box? Hey, Joe, what do you say, boy? Hi, Granny. Hey, Granny, get a load of this. Mr. Guffey, they can't hear you. Oh, yeah, I keep forgetting well, here they come out of the court now. I say, Thomas is looking very well. Yeah, the old boy certainly does hold up. The kid hasn't got a chance against him. Of course, Thomas won't win the tournament. No? Oh, why not? Well, he's slowed down some. Jolson is a favorite. Jolson? Don't believe I ever heard of him. After your time, Mr. Smith. But he's a cinch to win. Hmm. Ah, they're beginning to warm up. Nice form, Thomas. And Whitlock, he... he... By Jove! Yeah? What's the matter, Mr. Smith? Guffey, look at that racket Whitlock is using. Yeah? What about it? That's my racket. That's the racket I gave to Thomas 20 years ago. Well, what do you know? Wonder how the kid got it. Guffey, I've got to get down there and swing that racket. I've got to play. But look, Mr. Smith, you can't do that. Yes, I can. I can and I will. It'll appear to the spectators that Whitlock is making the shots, but I'll be controlling his arm. Just watch me, Mr. Guffey. Just watch me. Okay, I'll be rooting for you, Mr. Smith. I'll be up in the press box with the boys. Hey, this is going to be something. Well, this one ought to be a pushover for Thomas. Yeah, the kid looks pretty nervous. He hasn't got a chance. All right, no. fellas, gangway for Guffey of the Star. Boys, I've got a story that'll knock your hats off. Smith, the old champ returns to play Dick Thomas. How do you like that? <sighs> These early matches are always a bore to me. Yeah, me too. Hey, what's eating you guys? This is the biggest story ever. Smith, the old champion, is down swinging for Whitlock. Linesman, ready? Players, ready? Don't you get it, fellas? Smith. Smith is down there. Oh, I keep forgetting. They can't hear me. Smitty. Had a boy. Come on. Fifteen, love. Hey, did you see that? Yeah. Wow. Where did the kid get look, that drive? Look, haven't I been trying to tell you? That's not Whitlock down there. That's Smith. Come on here. All right, boy. Okay. Come on. I've never seen a drive like that before. Hey, has anybody ever seen this kid well, Whitlock been... play before? Where has he been hiding Listen, all this time? You dopes, it's not Whitlock, it's Smith. Yeah, I saw the kid play a couple of times. He never played like that before. Sure. He's way over his head. He's got Thomas looking like a yeah. punk. Atta boy. 
Attaboy. Attaboy, Mr. Smith. Great game. Great game. You know, I've been trying to think. That kid reminds me of somebody. Somebody I've seen play. Well, let's see. Listen, uh, I meant... Wait a minute. I got it. He's playing like that old champion. You know, Smith, the Englishman. Yeah, oh. that Smith's drive. Sure, you poor sure. saps. That is Smith. Hey, this is going to make a story after all. Story? It's the biggest story ever to hit the sports pages. That's all. Come on. Keep it up, old boy. The winner, Mr. Whitlock. Six, four, six, three, seven, five. How do you like that? Took him in straight sets. Boy, that's the biggest upset in years. An unknown trimming Thomas. Nice going, Mr. Smith. Sports writers, you guys can't see a story when it's right under your noses. Where's my harp? Well, my dear Guffey, how'd you like it? Say, you were great, Mr. Smith. As good as ever. I dare say. Look here, old man. Did you get the papers? Yeah, and listen to this. Not since the days of the famous English star, A.W. Smith, has such a terrific forehand drive been seen on an American court. The style of young Bobby Whitlock is strangely reminiscent of the great Englishman. It almost seemed as if Smith's hand might have been directing the racket. Well, well. If that guy only knew how close he came to the truth. I say it. It would give him a start, eh? Sure. Well, Mr. Smith, I guess we'd better be getting back, huh? Getting back? Yeah. Remember, we're A-W-O-L. But look here, my dear Duffy, I, I can't go back now. Why not? You can snatch your racket off young Whitlock. You've played your match. But don't you see, Guffy, I, I can't desert the boy now. The newspapers are calling him a new sensation. I've got to stay with him right through the tournament. You mean you're out to win the tournament? And why not? Listen, Mr. Smith, you beat Thomas today. Okay. But Thomas has passed his prime. If you keep playing, you're going to have to meet Jolson, and he won't be any pushover. I'm as good as I ever was, Mr. Guffey. Every bit as good. Yeah, but the game's changed since you'd... Uh, since uh, you quit. And uh, you'll find Jolson pretty tough. Mr. Guffey, I'm appalled at your lack of confidence in me. I, I just call him as I see him, Mr. Smith. Nevertheless, I'm staying through the tournament. Okay. Don't worry, I'll stick. I guess you know what you're doing. There's no stopping this, Whitlock. Oh, that kid's all over the court. I never saw such speed. Well, Whitlock, you're going into the semifinals. How do you account for this uh, great improvement in your game? <laughs> gee, gee, gentlemen, I, I don't know what to say. Huh. I, I never played like this before. It's just like... Just like something came over me all of a sudden. Yeah, that's a hot one, eh, Mr. Smith? Oh, well, Mr. Guffey. Wins again. Yes, sir. Wins his semifinal match 6-3, 6-3, and 6-4.
And that sends him into the finals tomorrow afternoon against Johnny Joseph. Hey, let After me at that mic. Ladies and gentlemen of the radio audience, this is Bill Guffey. You know, Guffey of the Star. Uh, formerly of the Star. Now, here's the inside on Whitlock. It wasn't Whitlock at all winning those matches. It was Smith. Yes, Smith, the old champion who passed on 20 years ago. I know what I'm talking about. It was Smith all the way, and it will be Smith tomorrow, too. This is Bill Guffey scooping the town and signing off until tomorrow at this same time. Listen for our musical signature. Oh, I keep forgetting. They can't hear me. Well, my dear Guffy, how did I look today? Swell, Mr. Smith. You were in there pitching every minute. Indeed. I, I was rather good, I thought. Yeah. If I could just get the story over. Here's the biggest yarn I ever had, and I can't get it printed. Man, I could stand this town on its ear. Oh, it's not that important, my dear Guffy. What are newspapers, after all? Nothing of consequence. Uh, by the way, uh, what do they say about me now? Well, it's a sensation, all right. The tournament. Oh, naturally. Uh, quite. Uh, read me a few of the articles, Guffy, old fellow. Uh, just those mentioning my name. Well, well, they don't mention you anymore, Mr. Smith. What? They don't mention me? Well, no. It's all Whitlock now. But look here. The, the first day they said that Whitlock was Smith reincarnated. Yeah, but you don't know those sport writers, Mr. Smith. Now they're all claiming they knew Whitlock was a comer all along. One guy even says he picked Whitlock as a favorite way back in February, which he didn't. But who's going to bother to look it up? Oh, it's an outrage. I won't have it. I won't have it. You hear, Guffy? I demand full credit for winning those matches. I'll call the sports editors in the telephone immediately. You're forgetting, Mr. Smith. They can't hear you. Oh. Oh. Well. Well, by Jove, Guffy, I'll show them tomorrow. I'll beat him my own way. They'll have to give credit to Smith. Okay, Mr. Smith. Speaking to you from the West Side Tennis Club in Forest Hills, Long Island, bringing you the final match of the National Singles Championship in which the sensational youngster Bobby Whitlock, a kid of 18, meets the defending champion Johnny Joseph. The stands are packed. It's a clear, sunny day. Well, well, anything can happen today. Joseph, of course, remains the favorite, but young Whitlock, who scored upset after upset, is given a good chance by the experts to trim Joseph and become the youngest title holder in American tennis history. There they come out on the court now. Joseph. attendance, Mr. Guffey. And why not, Mr. Smith? Isn't this the biggest thing that ever happened in tennis? A guy that's been, uh, uh, a guy that's been playing a harp for 20 years, coming back and playing for the national singles title? I tell you, Mr. Smith, it's out of this world. <laughs> How true, Mr. Guffey. Langsman, ready? Players, ready? Well, we're about to begin, Mr. Guffey. You feeling okay, Mr. Smith? This guy Jolson hasn't got you worried, has he? Worried? Don't be absurd, Mr. Guffey. I never felt better in my life. Uh, uh, that's to say, I never felt better since I... Uh... Oh, dash it all. Yeah, hold my harp, will you? Uh, play's about to begin. Will you be in the press box as usual, Mr. Guffey? I'll be around, Mr. Smith. I thought maybe I'd stay down here with you for a while. If you're sure, I won't be in your way. Mr. Guffey... We don't get in one another's way, if you will recall. Oh, yeah, I keep forgetting. Players, ready? 
Up we go, Mr. Guffey. Get in there and pitch, Mr. Smith. I'm right behind you. You can do it, Mr. Smith. You can do it, boy. Thank you, Mr. Guffey. That's the stuff, Mr. Smith. That guy Jolson is dead on his feet. Mr. Guppy, please, uh, please watch your language. Oh, yeah. I keep forgetting. He can't even see him, Mr. Smith. Stay in there, fella. You got him on the run right now. Of course, old chap. Of course. Don't let that bother you, Smitty, old boy. Of course not, old man. Of course not. Okay, Mr. Smith? Quite, uh, quite. This chap plays a rather unorthodox game, Mr. Guffey. Oh, he's good, Mr. Smith. He's fast. But you can take him. Oh, naturally, naturally. Tell you what, Mr. Smith, I'll float up to the press box and see if I can pick up any information. Very well, Mr. Guffey. I think the Whitlock myth is due to be exploded. The kid's a flash in the pan. Oh, he started like a house of fire. You got to admit that. Yeah? Jolson's just feeling him up. No kid of 18's going to take Jolson. You can quote me on that. Gangway, gangway for Guppy of the Star. Hiya, Joe. What do you say, Steve? Hello there, granny old boy. All right, fellas, now get this. A new lead, Forest Hills. A.W. Smith, the old champion, just before the finals of the national singles today, told this writer, the name is Guffy, Guffy of the Star, man, told this writer that he was confident of a victory. In an exclusive interview, the one-time British title holder, Smith, said, please tell the readers of the New York Star that, hey, ain't anybody taking this down? Don't you guys know a story when you see it? Oh, uh, hey, Steve. Yeah, Granny. Did I ever get your buck in that collection we took up? You know, the flowers for Bill Guffey. Flowers for Guffey? I didn't even know you sent any. Oh, it was just a little bunch. Well, okay, Granny. I'll give you the buck uh, payday. Well, how do you like that? Well, Mr. Smith, you took the first set, 6-4. Yes, Mr. Guffey. I don't know what's become of the game. The man won't stand still. He, he, he keeps running up to the net. Why doesn't he stay back where I can drive past him? Everyone knows I can win with drives alone. Yeah, Mr. Smith, but I guess the game has changed a little in 20 years. Oh, it's absurd, ridiculous. I, I'm quite out of breath. Uh, what are they saying up in the press box, Mr. Guffey? Ah, those dopes. Listen, Mr. Smith, they haven't even paid for my flowers yet. I dictate them a red-hot lead and they yawn in my face. Langsman, ready? Players, ready? There you go, Mr. Smith. Get in there and slug, fella. I'll win, Mr. Guffey. Tell them that for me. Come on now. I'll be in the radio booth. Uh, uh, call me if you need me. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this fits there to be one of the hardest-fought tennis title matches your radio reporter has ever witnessed. 
The form of both contenders is absolutely flawless. Yes, as flawless as Tickner's tantalizing celery. Bill Guffey reporting from Forest Hills, ladies and gentlemen, bringing you another exclusive sideline on today's title match. After winning the first set, A.W. Smith, the pride of the pearly gates, told your correspondent, quote, I'll win. Just tell them, he said, I'll win. More news in a moment, but first, a musical interlude. Coming right down, Mr. Smith. Excuse me, fellas. Yeah, Mr. Smith. What's this call, Mr. Guffey? Uh, Mr. Smith, it's going against you. You win the first one, 6-4. You drop the next two, 6-4 and 6-4. The fellow doesn't play fair. He chases me all over the court. It it wears me out. They didn't play tennis like this in my day. It's not right, I tell you, Mr. Guffey. I want you to issue a statement up in the press box. Tell them for me. It's no use, Mr. Smith. They don't hear me. Oh. Listen, Mr. Smith. I told you the game had speeded up in the last 20 years. Haven't you had enough? Leave it to young Whitlock. Come on. Let's get back to the pearly gates and just play our harps, huh? No, no, no. I'll play it through. Okay, Mr. Smith. Ramesman, ready? Bears, ready? I'm pulling for you, Mr. Smith. Had a boy, Mr. Smith. You drove right past him. Confound it all. Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith. What happened? What happened? Guffey, I've broken my racket. Oh, gee, that's tough, Mr. Smith. But look, Whitlock's got another racket. Hey, do you want to hit a few with that new racket, Whitlock? No. That's all right. I'll keep on. He's got a new racket, Mr. Smith. Play with that one. No, Guffey. I'm lost without my own racket. Material things mean nothing to me now. It was my love and affection for that old racket that carried me along. Come, Mr. Guffey. We'll be getting on home. I've had enough. Hand me my harp, please. Okay, Mr. Smith. Jolson is still champion. Young Whitlock put up a great battle, but fell completely apart when his racket was broken in the final set. So it's still Johnny Jolson, the champ. And there's another champion, too, ladies and gentlemen. Tickner's tantalizing celery juice. Drink it six times a day. You'll feel like a million. Well, we got through the gates all right, Mr. Smith. Yes, Guffey. I brought your lack racket along, Mrs. Smith. I thought maybe you could have it fixed. We might even get a tournament up here. I could cover it, and you could... No, no, Mr. Guffey. Tennis is not what it used to be. If we introduced the game as they played now, this wouldn't be heaven at all. It would be sheer... Well, we, we never say that word up here. Okay, Mr. Smith. And Mr. Guffey. Yeah, Mr. Smith? Will you please try to learn another tune? Okay. Okay, Mr. Smith. Well, fellas, there you are. Bill Tilden's fantasy, the Phantom Drive. I think it's a championship story by a real champion. Uh, What's the next one, Granny? 
The sport fans have been calling for an encore by Ring Lardner. So next time, I'll bring you another swell Ring Lardner story. It's called Hurry Kane. I'll see you then, fellas. So long, Bill. So long, guys. So long. This has been another visit to the Sportsman's Club for the favorite sports stories of Grant and Rice, which meets every Saturday at this time. In today's story, The Phantom Drive by William T. Tilden II, the radio dramatization was by Gerald Holland. Our actors were Harold Young as the Great Smith and William Mitchell, who played Guffey. Others in the cast included Will Hare, Norman McKay, Gregory Morton, Anthony LaPena, and Len Sterling. George Crook was at the organ, and our harpist was Theodore Cella. We wish to call your attention to the fact that the Grant and Rice sports stories will not be heard next week because of a special West Point anniversary broadcast. However, we'll be back two weeks from today. So, two weeks from today, friends, join us again at the Sportsman's Club for another sports story especially selected for you by the Dean of American Sports Writers, Grantland Rice. Grantland Rice appeared in person, and the production was under the direction of Tony Leader. This is the National Broadcasting Company. You're listening to the OTR Now radio program. For your invitation to find radio entertainment. Ah, shut up! Welcome back to the OTR Now radio program. I'm a big fan of Big Town, although I'm a fan of the early version with Edward G. Robinson. In the 40s, Edward Pauley starred in Lero. It's sponsored by Rinso on NBC. This episode's from March 8, 1949, The Case of the Crooked Eye. Extra, extra, hero about the crooked eye. Blackmailer slays the gapless. Extra, big town, extra. I want a two grand payoff. Here's your payoff. I won't leave big town for peanuts. Get out of big town or you'll go in a box. Lay off, Wilson. I got nothing to lose drilling you. So your shakedown included murder. Okay, let's play it out. Yes, listen to this headline story of the crooked eye brought to you by Lever Brothers Company, makers of Life Boy Health Soap. Hear this exciting story of fighting editor Steve Wilson of the Illustrated Press, whose newspaper creed stands for freedom and justice against the forces of intolerance and evil. The power and the freedom of the press is a flaming sword that it may be a faithful servant of all the people. Use it justly, hold it high, guard it well. Now, Big Town and the Case of the Crooked Eye. This is the timely and dramatic expose of the dangerous and growing fake detective racket. And at its beginning in a quiet corner of a clip joint, as a young man unknowingly kept a rendezvous with a so-called private detective and with death. Hello, Carter. So you decided to meet me. Yes. What do you want, Denver. Oh, so you know who I am. I know my wife hired you to get something on me. That's right, Carter. And you haven't been able to get a thing. That's right. Because there isn't anything to get. All my wife wants is her freedom and plenty of alimony. And that's what I'm hired to fix. How? How are you going to manage that? I'll show you. 
Hey, Ruthie, come here. Sure, Sid. Why, hello, Jimmy, darling. I just knew you'd come back to little Ruthie. Hey, what's the idea? Get away from me. I don't know you. Why, darling, come on. Hug hey. me tight. Kiss me. Get away from me. Hold that pose, Ruthie. Lay off with that cam- camera, Denver. Okay, break the clinch, Ruthie. I got all on you. Yes, get away from me, you little fool. Okay, handsome. I got to get ready for my chorus routine. <laughs> Don't think it wasn't fun. <laughs> all right, you slimy Seamus. What do you think you're going to gain by this frame-up? About 2,000 bucks, Carter. What makes you think I'd give you $2,000 if I had it? Because it'll cost you plenty more if your wife gets a fat alimony settlement. Why, you dirty blackmailer. No, no, you got me wrong, Carter. I'm just selling you a very valuable camera. You're not selling me anything. Got a swell flash attachment, good fast lens, takes perfect pictures, never misses. Neither do I. Don't telegraph your punches, sucker. Come on, Carter, straighten up. I used to train pugs before I got in the detective racket. Let me show you how. Oh. 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 Okay, sucker. Here's my card and address. When you come out of that slugging and raise the dough to buy this camera. Hey, mister. The managements of this joint don't like fist fighting so early in the evening. Get back on the door, you big comic. Nothing's doing because besides being doorman, I am likewise the bouncer. Beat it or I'll bounce you off the wall. Uh-huh. Tough guy. Yeah, take a look at that dope on the floor and beat it or I'll give you some of the same. Uh-huh. Two other fellas we both think we are. Let's take a hey. look. Stay off. Let go. Hey. Hey. How do you like this Russian bear hug? Lay off, will you, you... Crack my ribs. Yes, rib cracking is a specialty with Boris Gudunov, <laughs> who forsook the ballet for making with wrestling grunts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you put me down, you crazy snug. Sure. First I raise you up high and toss you like a bull. <laughs> How you like some monkors, maybe? I'll get you a job for this. I'll sue this stuff. You tell that Carter dope he better see me tonight. Hi, Steve. Got a minute to look at a batch of reactions to our safe driving campaign? Sure thing, Lorelei. Golly, look at these letters. There are hundreds of them. Good. We'll publish some of them. When the public takes over a campaign, we owe it to them to keep it rolling. Yes, you can't have a safe driving week and then forget it the rest of the year. I'll pick out the best letters and give them to Fletcher on city desk. Do that. And what about that upriver pollution scandal? I'm checking on that, Steve, but some upstate politicians are sitting on the lid. Well, they better do something before public indignation blows the lid off. And some of them out of office. Or into jail. Uh-oh, your private line to your so-called underworld listening post. Yes, I'm expecting a tip on the new racket in our own big town backyard, Lorelei. Steve Wilson, Illustrated Press. Mr. Wilson, this is Boris Kudanov, Nijinsky Pavlovich, speaking in person. Hello, Boris. How's the doorman business? Confidentially, Mr. Wilson, it is like something from nothing good, which is why I'm calling you. What's the trouble, Boris? Here in the checks room of the big town parrot's cage, I have got a beat-up nice young fella who's got plenty of trouble, Mr. Wilson. Is he badly hurt, Boris? Not much yet, but soon, maybe. Why was he beaten up, Boris? Blackmails he won't pay, I think. Blackmail? Who beat him up? One very tough private detective fella, but I am tougher, and him I bounce out. Nice going, Boris, but are you sure the man was a private detective? Absolutely, positively, Mr. Wilson. On account of with this young Carter fella, he leaves a card along with a couple of black eyes. 
Now, wait a minute, Boris. Any real private detective would lose his license for that. What's the name on the card? On the card, it says, Seas Denver. Denver. Yes, I've heard about him. His license was revoked six months ago, Boris. Can you keep young Carter there a few minutes? Sure, easy, Mr. Wilson. He don't feel like standing up much yet let alone go any places in a hurry. Well, take good care of him, Boris. We'll be over at the parrot cage in ten minutes flat. Come on, Lala. Another dirty racket. Go get your coat and so-called hat. Yeah? Did you see it, honey? Who else would be answering my phone, Featherbrain? Oh, honey. Save the Scarlet O'Hara Act. What's the idea of phoning me at my office? Well, I thought I'd better tell you what happened after you left the club. Don't tell me that punk complained to the cops. Oh, no. He's still half out on his feet from that beating you gave him. But, but that crazy Russian dough man called somebody. Who did he call? Some newspaper guy named Wilson. Wilson? Steve Wilson, the racket-busting newsie of the press? Yeah, and he's coming right over. Where are you, Ruthie? Back in the chorus dressing room. Well, get out of there, quick. Well, get out of there. Go to your apartment and pack your stuff. But why, honey? You're getting out of Big Town to where Wilson can't find you and quiz you. But I don't want to leave Big Town. I've got a contract. You'll have a busted head if you don't do like I say. But, honey, I ain't got any money. Well, get your money. Get out of there. Go pack your stuff, but quick. <laughs> Thus, dangerous cross-complications are developing as Steve Wilson moves into this vicious shakedown racket. And we'll rejoin Steve and Lorelei in a moment. Life Boy gets skin cleaner. Life Boy gets skin cleaner. And the cleaner you get your skin, the surer you are of being fresh and attractive. So remember, Life Boy, with its purifying ingredient, gets skin cleaner. Stops B.O. as no other leading soap can. Here's what the doctors proved in 820 scientific tests. People took daily baths with different soaps. Doctors found that Life Boy does more than just remove the grime and perspiration you can see. Life Boy's purifying ingredient makes it more effective than any other leading soap against the invisible dirt that brings on B.O. Life Boy's milder, too. Safe even for baby's tender skin. And you'll like the way Life Boy, made with costly coconut oil, bursts into quick white lather, even in hard water. Life Boy gets skin cleaner. Life Boy gets skin cleaner. Keeps you fresh and attractive. Protects you as no other leading soap can. Bathe with Life Boy every day. Get the big new bath size. Buy Life Boy right away. <laughs> Now back to Big Town and tonight's headline story of the crooked eye as Steve Wilson and Loyal Eye approach a notorious Big Town nightclub in the cab of their loquacious friend and companion, Harry the Hack. Say, boss, Miss Kilpine. Say it, Harry. But get it to the parrot cage intact. Oh, fear not, Miss Kilpine. I have been reading them safe driving articles of yours in the press. And whilst I have always thought I was a pretty careful driver, I have come to the conclusion none of us cannot be a little more careful. 
If you get what I mean. We get it, Harry. Uh, what were you going to say? Uh, oh, yeah. I was uh, just about to offer the services of me and my trusty knock-a-knock in the event of any eventualities with this crooked eye with whom you are about to tangle. Thanks, Harry, but I hope we can settle this without any more violence. Just stop at the parrot cage and wait a few minutes. I may want to have you hack me to Denver's so-called office. The first is as good as done, and the second will be a pleasure. All right, Lorelei. Let's go get this Carter boy's story. Oh, wait a minute, Steve. There's Boris coming out of the club half-carrying somebody. Holy moly, the guy's lugger looks out on his feet. Yes, Boris must have a good reason for moving him. Mr. Wilson, maybe you better get this fellow away from here and to some doctor quick. God grief. He's unconscious. Yes. And when I'm phoning you, he acts like he's getting better. Then he goes out like a light. Boris, you shouldn't have moved him. He may be suffering from concussion. Hey, get him in the cab here. Yes. Let me give you a hand, Boris. We'd better get him to a hospital. Hey, just hold the hexi cab door open, Mr. Wilson. Him, I handle like a baby. Well, get here in the back with him, Boris. I'll sit on the jump seat. Yes. I hold him, and you see if there is anything you can do, Miss Killyburn. Oh, Steve. His head's cut. There's, there's blood behind his ear. Yes. Drive to the general hospital, Harry. Jack, wash on a double double. Maybe I should not have moved him, Miss Killyburn, but after I make with the telephone to you, something else happens, which makes me think maybe this feller, I should get him out of the parrot cages before something worse happens to him. What happened, Boris? After I'm talking to you, Mr. Wilson, I find a hoof dancer called Ruthie eavesdropping, and in the dressing room she makes phone calls to this Denver feller who wants her to get out of Big Town quick like rabbit. That means she's mixed up in the shakedown racket. Nah. And she dressed quick and runs to her apartment to pack something. That fits. You know where she lives, Boris? At the big town arm. Harry, stop the cab. Jack, Boris, but how come? Let us out. Come on, Harry. Well, what about this boy, Boris Steve? and Harry can take him to the hospital. I think we can take care of the rest of his troubles. We'll pick up another cab to the big town arms. Let's go. Come on in, see. The door isn't locked. What's the idea of wasting time? Why ain't you packed and ready to go? Oh, I'm ready, honey. I just packed a few things. Well, pack all your duds. You're clearing out. Oh, I don't want all that worn old stuff on the bed. I told the maid she could have it. I'll be getting a whole new outfit. With, with what? Why, with the money you're going to give me for getting out of big town and keeping you out of trouble. Listen, Ruthie, quit kidding yourself. Where you're going, those duds will be plenty good enough. Now, pack them. I will not. I wouldn't be seen dead in those old rags in Mexico City. You ain't going anywhere near Mexico City. All right, then. Get me a plane ticket to Hollywood. Hollywood? <laughs> okay, Florida. I can get a Corrine job down there. And the place is simply crawling with, with sugar, Daddy. Now, listen, Feather Brain. You're going to a hideout, a boarding house upstate about 50 miles from here. I am not. I'm not going to go twiddle my thumbs in some cheap dump to keep you out of a jam. Listen, you... <laughs> Stop it, Sid. Hurt in my arm. Well, wring your neck if you don't do like I tell you. Pack that stuff quick. See, I, I won't give up my job at that parrot cage. My nice gentleman friends. For you or, or anybody else. You tin horn shaman. Oh, so now I'm a tin horn shaman. Am I? You keep away from me, Sid. If you beat me up like you did that Carter kid, I'll, I'll tell that guy Wilson everything I know about you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh. Keep away from me, Sid. 
I'll, I'll tell all about the guys and dames I helped your friend for shakedown. You stopped your southern accent, honey child. Stop backing away from me. You'll fall out that window. Keep away from me, Sid. Don't you dare hit me. Well, you're going to talk. You're going to squawk. Oh, oh, no, I won't, Sid. I, I didn't mean it. I, I was only kidding. I don't go for kidding. I didn't mean it, Sid. You, you can't blame a gal for trying to make a good deal. I, I, I didn't really mean it. I'll go anywhere you say. I'll say you will, you double-crossing, two-timing little twist. Sid, let go. I'll, I'll go to that dump. I'll, I'll stay there. I've changed my mind. Why? What's happened to Carter? Is he dead? He was out cold when I left the club. It don't matter. You'd cross me up. You'd shake me down if you got a chance. Oh, no. Sell me out. No. Turn state's evidence if that dope dies. No, I won't, Sid. Please let me go. I ain't gonna chance it. Oh, stiff. Sid. What? What are you gonna do? I'm gonna make sure you don't squawk to Wilson or anybody else. Thanks, Robert. Keep the change. Come on, Arlen. Okay, Steve. You know, I, I, I've been thinking... We may not have much time to think if we're going to question that girl before she skips town. Well, Arlen. that's what I've been thinking about. If we both go barging in on her, she may shut up like a clam. Well, in that case, she'll talk to the police as soon as they picked up Sid Denver. Why hadn't you better notify them to grab Denver at his office before he hears young Carter is too badly hurt to meet him there? Yes, I'm going to phone Callahan from the lobby. Callahan? Homicide? Do you think Carter's so badly hurt he may die? He might, but whether he does or not, his bruises and cuts have all the trademarks of brass knuckles on a lie in Denver's attack can be assault with a deadly weapon, and the charge can be manslaughter. Then it's more important than ever to get that girl to talk. Yes, let's get in there before she slips out a back exit of the big town arms. Steve, let me go up and try to get in her apartment and talk to her while you're phoning Callie. No, 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 it will only be take a few seconds, and that girl may think Carter is dead if you go up there and start pumping her. But, Steve, she may get away now. Please, let me try. Absolutely not, Laura. I'd rather let her get away than risk your neck. Now, come on inside and wait while I make that call to Callahan of Homicide. Doggone Steve Wilson. Always trying to keep me from doing my reporter job because I happen to be a female. Oh, this must be Ruthie's apartment. As a female, I think I can handle her better than he can. We haven't missed her. Yeah? Oh. Hello. What do you want? I want to see Ruthie. Who wants to see Ruthie? I've... I'm a friend of hers. Is she here? What do you want to see her about? It's personal. See her at the parrot cage tomorrow. Sorry, I heard she was leaving town tonight. Oh, you did? Who told you? None of your business. I'm making it my business. Come in here, sweetheart. Oh, you must be Sid Denver. That's right. Oh, don't bother to lock that door. Why not? It'll be broken down in a few minutes. Who by? Steve Wilson. Wilson of the press? Yes. So you're that dame crime reporter that tags around with him, huh? That's right. Only this time, because I foolishly disobeyed orders, he's going to be tagging around after me. Where is the slug now? He's downstairs phoning Callahan of Homicide. Homicide? Yes, we 
thought it might be handy to have him around in case young Carter dies of that beating you gave him. Who says I beat him? We have one good witness, and Ruthie will make two. Where is she? She's gone. She beat it out of town. Without any street clothes? Yeah. Kind of sudden, wasn't it? Yeah, it was awful. What are you keeping at? That piece of black crepe dress material caught in the crack of that closed closet door over there. So what? Black crepe could be so appropriate for some things. Wait, don't go away, beautiful. Looks like I walked in on something. You sure have. Since you're so curious, come on. You're going in that closet for a better look. All right, Sergeant, since you can't locate Inspector Callahan, you better pick up Sid Denver at his office. Carter is a general hospital. I'm sure he'll sign the complaint when or if he regains consciousness. And tell Callahan I'm at the Big Town Arms, checking on an accomplice and come-on girl called Ruthie. Hey, boss! Boss! Harry, what are you doing here? Uh, the Carter guy started snapping out that slug, and so I left Boris with him at the hospital and hightail over here to see if I could be of some assistance. Where's Miss Kilpin? She's over at the switchboard getting the lowdown on that girl, Ruthie, from the operator. Come on, we'll see how she's made out. You called a lawyer on this yet? Yes, they're going to pick up Denver at his office. I tried to get in touch with Callahan of Homicide. That's what took me so long on the phone, Harry. There's a switchboard operator, but I don't see Miss Kilpin. I'm sorry, madam, but Mr. Jones does not answer. Is there any message? Oh, very well, madam. I beg your pardon, miss. Oh, good evening, sir. What can I do for you? Where is the young lady who just inquired about one of your tenants called Ruthie? Oh, her? Well, as soon as I gave her Ruthie's apartment number, she went right upstairs. Upstairs? Good uh-huh. doggone that girl. Oh, why, sir, is anything the matter? I hope not. What is Ruthie's apartment number? Oh, golly, mister, what is the matter? You know, you're the second man looking for Ruthie. The second man? That's right. Holy moly, boss, maybe Denver's here. What's that apartment number, miss? Oh, why, it's apartment 11A, but what's the trouble, mister? There's liable to be all kinds of trouble if we don't get up there on the double. Come on, Harry, let's go. <laughs> But these automatic elevators are slow, boss. Even so, it's quicker than climbing 11 flights of stairs. I say nothing of the shape we'd be in when we got up. This is it. Yes, come on, but wait in the hall. Denver may be carrying a gun. There's 11A just across the... Boss, door is open. Against the wall, Harry. Check, boss, watch your step. Oh, wait a minute. Denver. Wilson. Yes? Why aren't you at your office waiting for your dirty shakedown payoff? I don't know what you're talking about. Let's go to the apartment and ask your girlfriend, Ruthie. She's gone. She left town. Where's Miss Kilburn? You mean that lippy reporter dame that tags around with you? Yes, I mean Laura Lye Kilburn. She ain't sure. You're a liar. She came up here a few moments ago. Now, get out of the way. Laura Lye. Laura Lye? All right, you nosy newspaper slug. Shut up. Turn around. Oh. So now it comes to gun. Yeah. Your shakedown has turned to murder. Okay. Let's play this out. Thus, a swift chain of events has developed into a deadly climax. And for the surprising and ironic payoff, we'll return in just a moment. Life Boy gets skin cleaner. Life Boy gets skin cleaner. And the cleaner you get your skin, the surer you are of being fresh and attractive. So remember, Life Boy, with its purifying ingredient, gets skin cleaner, stops B.O. as no other leading soap can. 
Here's what the doctors proved in 820 scientific tests. People took daily baths with different soaps. Doctors found that Life Boy does more than just remove the grime and perspiration you can see. Life Boy's purifying ingredient makes it more effective than any other leading soap against the invisible dirt that brings on B.O. Life Boy's milder, too. Safe even for baby's tender skin. And you'll like the way Life Boy, made with costly coconut oil, bursts into quick white lather even in hard water. Life Boy gets skin cleaner. Life Boy gets skin cleaner, keeps you fresh and attractive, protects you as no other leading soap can. Bathe with Life Boy every day. Get the big new bath size. Buy Life Boy right away. Now back to Big Town and Steve Wilson's deadly showdown with a blackmailing private detective in tonight's story of The Crooked Eye. Clam up, Wilson. Stay put while I give with a frisk. You're wasting time, Denver. I don't carry a gun. And even if you haven't committed a murder, you're risking a long jail term for possession of that one in your hand. I got a permit for this run. Your permit was revoked when you lost your private operator's license for being a crooked eye. And a disgrace to your profession. Keep talking and I'll knock your teeth in. Put down that gun and I'll give you a chance. Clam. Oh. So Laura like Kilburn didn't come here? Isn't in this room? Clam up and quit bunching yourself to get this gun or I'll let you have it right now. Your girlfriend, Ruthie, isn't here? She left town? Get away from that hall door. Get over there against the wall. All right. But those taps tell me Ruthie is in that clothes closet dead. You murdered her to shut her up about the Carter shit. So what? You shut up. I'm getting out of here. Let him come, boy. Stay out in the hall, Harry. Keep out of sight. Okay. Let him come out through the doorway. Don't show yourself, Harry. He's armed. Killed his girlfriend. Has nothing to lose by shooting his way out. You get a skin full of Tommy slugs if he comes this way. On account of the homicide, boys are coming up the elevator and the stairs. Oh, so you did call in the cops on if this, you huh? played according to that rule, you wouldn't have lost your license. Turned crooked, committed murder to cover up, and now find yourself caught like a rat in a trap. Oh, yeah? And I know my way around in and out of dumps like this. Don't try breaking for it. Not out that window, Denver. Stay put, Wilson. I ought to plug you for messing in this. I may need all the shells I got in this gun going down the fire escape. Stay put. Don't be a fool, Denver. Don't step out of that window. There is no fire escape in that court. Don't kid me, Wilson. Look. Look behind you, you crazy fool. And take my eyes off you for even a minute, I would be a fool. You will be a fool. It's only 11 stories to the pavement. Don't back out of that window, Dan. Shut up. Stay put. Don't crowd them, boss. Elevator coming up. Don't do it, Denver. Keep away from this window. I'm leaving. Ah! <laughs> uh... Boss. Boss. Come on in, Harry. He's gone. Finished. The law won't have to take him for his folly. You warned him, boss. You tried your best to stop him. Oh, yes, Harry, but even so. How did you know there wasn't no fire escape outside of that window? I noticed when he came in through the court. What's keeping those homicide men, Harry? Oh, that was my bluff, boss. I... I don't know if they're coming or not. Steve, Steve, get me out of here. Good grief, Lorelei. In the closet with Ruthie, I've forgotten. Just a minute, Lorelei, I'll unlock the door. 
Steve, Steve, I'm sorry I didn't listen to you. I, I could hear what happened, heard that awful falling cry. What about Ruthie? Is there any chance? No, Steve, I tried to revive her. She's, she's been strangled. Good grief. The poor kid. Nothing more than a stooge. Come on, girl. Where did she get out of it, even in life? Won't they never learn, boss? Some do before it's too late, Harry, but not enough. Get on the phone, Lorelei. Call Fletch on City Desk. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was just another story from the front pages of the Illustrated Press. Young Carter recovered, and we played up Ruthie's angle because I honestly feel it may help convince youngsters like her that you can't fool around the fringe of crime without the fatal risk of drowning in this whirlpool. And incidentally, Steve, wasn't Sid Denver, the crooked eye, an exception to the general run of private investigators? Yes, Farley. There are good and bad in every profession. How about next week, Steve? Well, next week we're going to dramatize a hard-hitting story of juvenile tragedy and parent delinquency and headline The Shiny Gun. But right now you seem to have something immediate on your mind, Lorelai. Yes, Steve. Friends... You've heard tonight how Life Boy gets skin cleaner in your daily bath, keeps you fresh and attractive 24 hours a day. Now, I'd like to suggest that you try Life Boy health soap in the big new bath size. Bath size Life Boy is generous and luxurious. And that lather is so mild and refreshing. I love it, and I know you'll love it too. Just ask for the new bath size Life Boy. Thank you, and good night. It's Opportunity Unlimited. Enlistment in America's Armed Forces today. For America's Armed Forces now constitute the greatest scientific enterprise in the world. Trained in the best technical schools, working with advanced techniques and equipment, today's serviceman is a skilled professional with a bright future in civilian or military life. Investigate the opportunities offered in the Armed Forces now. Tonight's dramatization, all names, times, and places are fictional. Big Town features Edward Pauley as Steve Wilson, Fran Carlin as Lorelai Kilburn, and is written and produced by Jerry McGill. Lever Brothers Company have amazing news. New 1950 Rinso with sodium. It's here a year ahead of time. New 1950 Rinso has three times the whiter washing action of any other soap. The sensational new washing action of 1950 Rinso gets white clothes whiter than new, washable colors brighter than new, and keeps them whiter, brighter than any other soap. Rinso is so safe for clothes, so kind to hands. Get new 1950 Rinso at your dealers now. Be sure and be with us again next Tuesday at the same time when Lever Brothers Company will again present Big Town. This is your narrator, Dwight Weiss, bidding you good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
mommy, uh, quiet, please. I'm going to open the door. I want my alimony. Give me my alimony. What program was that? John's other wife. <laughs> You're listening to the OTR Now radio program. And we're in the final half hour of the OTR Now radio program. And here's a little creepy uh, program for you. We like to present it at the end of the evening, just when you're ready to go to bed. We want to put a little thrill in, into your life and keep you up all night. So we're going to present Cabin B-13. Now, Cabin B-13 was actually the title of a suspense story in 1942. They decided to spin off that title, referring to a mysterious cabin on a ship, to Cabin B-13. And this program's from July 5th, 1948, A Razor in Fleet Street. This is the first show of the series, and Arnold Moss is excellent as Dr. Fabian, the person who introduces this excellent murder mystery by John Dixon Carr. Cabin B-13. My name is Fabian, ship surgeon of the luxury liner Mauravania. Tonight, as we lie alongside the docks at the great port of Southampton, the ship is ghostly, deserted. Our passengers on this world cruise have gone to London. And as I sit here in my cabin... B-13. I'm reminded how the tides and storms of a thousand voyages have wrought nothing more strange, more sinister than man's desire for adventure in the strange ports and lands we touch. I remember Bill and Brenda Leslie. It was years ago before the war and the effect on their characters of the mortal terror that overtook them in London. CBS brings you John Dixon Carr's famous Dr. Fabian, ship surgeon, world traveler, and host in Cabin B-13 for strange and incredible tales of mystery and murder, directed by John Dietz. London and Hamden's Hotel in Norfolk Street off the Strand. Quiet little street sloping down to the river. Quiet little hotel. So dingy with its stuffiness of old carpets and yesterday's tea trays, that you'd never suspect how fashionable it is. Or how expensive. Can't you hear the lift whining as its two latest arrivals, the husband American, the wife English, go swaying up to a bumpy stop? This way, sir. Come on, Brenda. Will there be anything else, sir? Uh, That's all, thanks. Oh, wait a minute. Here. Oh, thank you, sir. Bill, darling, please don't look so bewildered. Was I looking bewildered? I know the furniture's red plush and dates back to the 1860s. I know we can't get a private bathroom. By George, the waiters look as old as the furniture. But if only we'd gone to Claridge's or the Savoy or 
Any one of a dozen places I suggested. Darling, you don't understand. No? Who the devil wants to go to Claridge's or the Savoy? This is London. Oh, Bill. I'm afraid I still don't understand. I've been in the diplomatic service for seven years. I've been stationed in three capitals. But I've never been here. It's a lovely old town. Oh, it's home. Uh, It's home to me, too, in a way. It's put a spell on my imagination ever since I was a boy so high. Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Fu Manchu... Handsome cabs rattling through the fog. Darling, you don't think we still ride about in hansoms. No, but it's the spirit of the thing. Here, look out of this window. Yes? Gray and black buildings. Twilight coming down. And yes, look down there. Where? I don't see anything. It's one of your famous barrel organs. Here, let's have the window up. It's under our windows, Brenda. What's the tune, dear? Do you know it? Oh, something about she was a lassie from Lancashire. (laughs) It's a very old one. But it's right, don't you see? Everything's right. And if I crane out of the window sideways like this, I can see down to the river. That's where the bodies fall off walls (laughs) and the police launchers go out. Oh, Bill, please listen to me. (laughs) Put your arms around me. Look down at me. There. (laughs) I have a funny face. (laughs) I admit I have a funny face. I love you terribly, Bill. (laughs) I don't mean any words like very much or a lot. Just silly and terribly. But of all the romantic Americans I've ever met, you have the most absurd and fantastic ideas about England. You don't really expect to find Scotland Yard men in bowler hats trailing you every step. Now, do you? That wasn't the point, Brenda. When you think about it, just remember the barrel organ. Safe. Stodgy, comfortable. That's London, Bill. Will you remember? Well, at least they've got telephones in this place. Hello? Mr. William Leslie? Yes, speaking. This is the reception desk, Mr. Leslie. Uh, There's a a man here who insists on seeing you. In fact, the man is on his way upstairs. Uh, He's a police officer. Uh, What did you say? A police officer, sir. A police officer, huh? I see. Uh, he isn't by any chance from Scotland Yard? Yes, sir. I thought you might like to know. Did you hear that, Brenda? Yes, I heard it, but surely... About six hours in England Oh, this and... is ridiculous, Bill. There must be some mistake. Well, there probably is. All the same, come to think of it, I don't feel very keen about facing one of these bowler hats in real life. But why do they come to us? We haven't done anything. Nothing I can think of. That's what worries me. Get ready for the hat and the raincoat and the cropped mustache. Yes? Mr. Leslie? Mrs. Leslie? That's right. Won't you come in? Thank you. Sorry to have to trouble you, sir. I'm a police officer. Metropolitan CID. Here's my warrant card. I see. Chief Inspector... Radford, sir. And I'm bound to tell you I'm here about a pretty serious matter. But we haven't done anything to... Easy, Brenda, easy. Sit down, Inspector. Thank you, sir. Now, don't mind my notebook. It's a mere formality. You and your wife arrived this morning by the Mauravania. Your wife is British and carries her own passport, correct? Yes, that's correct. A week from today, you leave by the same ship for Lisbon. At Lisbon, you take up a new diplomatic assignment at the American Embassy. Correct? Yes, just just one moment. I'd like you to look at this snapshot I have here. Who is it? But it's Bill. 
I, I mean, well, except for that awful shirt and tie. Well, it is Bill. So help me, I never had that picture taken. I know you didn't, Mr. Leslie. That's Flash Morgan. Ever hear of him? Never. Is he wanted for something? He's wanted for several murders. We won't mention bank robbery. Also, he's a ripper, if you know what that means. He uses a razor and likes it. Me? The image of a famous murderer? They don't look so different from the rest of us. Do you realize, sir, you can't leave this hotel without being nabbed as Morgan by the first copper you meet? But I can prove who I am. I've got my papers. You got your papers. Right. Suppose Morgan gets them. Morgan? The Moravania sails a week from today. Somebody called William Leslie, carrying diplomatic immunity, sails with her. What's to prove it's really you? You mean he might... I do. Oh, that's impossible. He couldn't get away with it. No, I don't think he could, but I'll give you ten to one. He tries it. This is too small a country to hide in, and he can't get away. He's desperate. This is his last hope. What about Brenda here? There are several things that might happen to Mrs. Leslie. All unpleasant. There's just one more matter I'm bound to warn you of. You've warned us, Inspector Radford. We, we appreciate it most awfully. What else could there be? Morgan may try to get into this hotel. Safe, stodgy, comfortable. I see what you mean, Brenda. I beg your pardon, sir? Oh, just a little joke between my wife and myself. It's getting chilly. Better close the window. Look here, Inspector. This um, ripper, whatever he is, couldn't possibly know there's a man who looks just like him. He couldn't, eh? Have you seen any evening paper? No. Some fool took a picture of you getting off the boat train. It's been published with comments on the resemblance. You'll find Morgan's story also with pictures on the front page. Here's the standard. Read it. But haven't you got any idea where this man is? No, madam, we haven't. He used to have a hangout at 96 Fleet Street up over a barber shop. But he won't go there now. He's loaded with money from the Whitehall bank job. He's got a razor. And he's ready to use it. Now, if you'll excuse me... Uh, I... Inspector, wait. What do you want us to do? I want you to stay in this hotel, both of you, until that boat sails. Cooped up here for a week, just on a theory of yours? Yes, Mr. Leslie, just on a theory. Suppose I do go out. I can't stop you, sir. The guard I'm leaving here can't stop you. But I might send you some photographs of people with their throats cut. Sorry to have upset you. Good day. any change yet in the purplish white tinge of early evening. No street lamps or lights. But a thin mist, white with late October chill, is creeping up from the river as Bill and Brenda Leslie still sit in the red plush room, staring at nothingness. Brenda? Yes, dear? What was the number of that address Radford gave us where Morgan used to hang out? I don't remember. 96, wasn't it? 96 Fleet Street? Why do you want to know? Because I'm going there. And I'm going now. Yes, I thought that was it. Bill, you can't. You mustn't. You can't do anything there. I know. Then why go at all? Sweetheart, you know what our life is. It's a wonderful life. Oh, with you, yes, every minute of it. But the diplomatic service. Vous allez bien, Madame la Comtesse? I am sure, Signor, that the Rio Alta Bridge will be a great success. 
Who precedes whom at dinner? Does the young boy's wife eat artichokes? Look, Brenda. Suppose I captured Morgan before the police do. Bill, are you absolutely mad? No, no, darling. Once or twice in every man's life, something taps him on the shoulder and says, Come on, I dare you. Mostly we turn away and pretend we don't notice. But not this time. I'm taking the dare. Bill, come back here. You're not to go. Where's my overcoat? I've got it. Now, this address... If you go, I'm going with you. Oh, no, no. This isn't a woman's kind of dare, and you know it. It's as much my dare as it is yours. 96 Fleet Street, up over a barbershop. How do I get there? I... If you don't tell me, Brenda, I can easily find out. Oh. Well, as a matter of fact, it's... It's not very far from here. You could walk it in ten minutes. That's better. That's much better. What about your identification papers? I'm throwing them out here on the bed. Morgan won't get those. But if you haven't got those papers, you won't be able to prove who you are. I'll have to risk it, Brenda. See you later. Bill, come back. If you had any reason for going there, I wouldn't mind. But it's idiotic. Don't leave me. Please come back. Please. I'll be with you, Bill. I'll be with you if Morgan doesn't see me first. Footsteps. Slow-moving footsteps. Footsteps on gritty pavement where, beyond Temple Bar, Fleet Street curves down into dimness. A dead street, hushed and shadowy, with St. Paul's like a gray cloud far ahead. Too late for office workers? Too early for newspaper offices? Let's be Leslie on the left-hand pavement. I can tell you, believe me, every half-thought that tumbles through his brain as he walks. Can't see the numbers, that's the trouble. Fool, stun, I wish I hadn't tried it. Can't turn back now, seem afraid. What if something jumped out of one of these doorways? He's a ripper, and you know what that means. Are you absolutely mad? Must remember things like that. Fleet Street, Dr. Johnson, 18th century. No people around. The street lamp's lighted. Good thing. Might walk a little faster. No harm in walking a little faster. There, number 34. Even on the side of the street, too. Can't be far off now. Mist rising in this coldest. Is that a policeman's helmet? Behind me, up against the sky. Doesn't matter. Police mean safety. If you haven't got those papers, you won't be able to prove who you are. Still doesn't matter. Nobody can see my face. Another policeman's helmet. Swear to it, over in that alley. A little faster. Take it easy now. Don't run. They can't possibly... Shoot there! Stop! Wait a minute! Mustn't get panicky. How do you stop panic? Got to find that address. Got to justify myself. Got to... Run! Run! Ninety-six. Little entry. No door. Flight of steps. Easy on the jump now. Run up quiet as you can. Door with glass panel. Henry M. Jenkins, barber. Door open and... A large room, perhaps not too clean, with a cork floor giving back no sound. Facing you, a window. On your left, another door. On your right, a wall of mirrors with two white barber chairs. 
This is what Bill Leslie sees amid a gleam of mirrors and a thick odor of hair tonic. On a white stool sits a little old man with yellow-white hair and a reddish nose, peering up from a paper with cockney friendliness. Why, I beg your pardon, I didn't mean to crash in like this. Not a bit of it, sir. Nobody is, sir. Glad to have you come up any way you like. I've uh, come about something important. Oh, I, I want to shave, please. And I'll just close this door. Shave, sir? <laughs> Very good, sir. If you'll uh, just come over here. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Your overcoat, sir. Allow me. Oh, thanks. And uh, in this chair, please. Now. We'll just whip out the cloth and round your neck it goes. Oh, wait a minute. Don't tilt me backwards yet. Are you Mr. Jenkins? <laughs> and now that, sir, is what I call a real honor. What's so funny about it? Sorry, sir, it's only a joke. My name is Jenkins and that's a fact, but mostly the gentleman called me Old Scratch. Old scratch. Oh, not in a religious way. Lummy, I should hope not. With me, a chapel goer for 40 years, and a teetotaler so's me hand wouldn't shake. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Mix the lobby. No, sir, it's only a joke. If they call me old scratch, or as it might be old Nick, it's cause they know I won't nick them. <laughs> Never miss with a razor, I don't. There, now. Now, we just tip the chair back. And I'll bet this lather I'm putting on is as comfortable as, well, as going home to tea and kippers on a night like this. It's remarkable, sir, how comfortable. Here, sir. What is it? What's wrong? I was trying to signal you, that's all. Hey, keep on lathering. Don't speak any louder than I do. What is it, sir? What's up? Flash Morgan has just come in. Who? Flash Morgan. But there's... Quiet. There's nobody here but you and me. Lift your head up and look. You didn't see him. You were looking at the shaving mug. I saw him come in by the door from the stairs when you moved the chair. You sure you don't know who Morgan is? Help me, Harry. I don't. He's a killer. What about the police? The police? Here, now. I'll finish with the leather. Then start shaving. But make it quick. Get a razor. Yes, sir. But uh, that's it. Where's the bloke? Is he a blooming ghost? He didn't look at either of us. He didn't make a sound. I saw him in the mirror. He bolted the glass paneled door on the inside. Look over and see if it isn't bolted. Yes, sir, it's bolted. He walked to a door at the back of this room. Behind me. Can you see it? Yes, sir. Of course I can see it. Where does that door lead? Upstairs? No, sir. There's no upstairs on this side of the house. But there's got to be. Morgan lived... I had some friends who... Don't move your chin like that. Keep your head where I put it. If you was looking for 96 proper, you must have seen the numbers in a bad light. Oh? That's under the arch and round the back, like a lot of these old houses. This is 96B. And where does the door lead? Only to a cupboard, sir. A big cupboard. <gasps> Somebody's hiding there now. That's right. Morgan's there with his razor. It, uh, that's the end of the shave, sir. I trust it's satisfactory. Hot towel, sir. Uh, here's thanks. 
Hot and steaming. Hang on to your nerve, old scratch. We'll get him in two minutes. Uh, uh, towel satisfactory, sir. Oh, I'm a peaceful man, Governor. Oh, I don't want no trouble. Now listen. When you take the towel off, go to the shelf under the mirrors and mess around with the bottles. Ask me if I'd like some kind of lotion and edge toward the glass door. When you get near it, run like blazes and yell for the police. The whole neighborhood's full of cops. Morgan will come out fighting when he hears you run. I'll pick up that high stool and try to hold him off. The cops didn't find me because they went to the wrong 96. Sister, that door beyond you. Well? The knob's moving. Then we'll have to do it when I count three. I can't, sir. I just ain't up to You can run, can't you? One, two, three. Let us stay where you are, both of you. Oh, well, well. What do I hear in... Chief Inspector Radford? You do? Sorry to break the glass door, old scratch, but it seemed to be bolted on the inside. Yes, it is. In you go, boys. We may right, need sir. several men here. Well, yes. Inspector, don't you recognize me? I'm Bill Leslie. Yes, you probably are. Where's Morgan? He's in that cupboard over there. I don't want to handle him. Have your men got guns? You don't carry guns. Sergeant. Yes, sir. Go over and guard that window. Davis, you stay here. I'll take the wasp out of his nest. Right, sir. Coming out, Morgan? No? All right, have it your own way. I'm turning the knob and... Lord Almighty. Find that blood, sir. It's Morgan, all right. But he won't give any trouble now. His throat's been cut. His throat's cut? But who... Who... Curse it, Mr. Leslie. Why do you have to go and kill him? There's a famous building on the Thames Embankment. Once red brick with white trimming. Now smoke darkened, redolent of old stone. Inside it looks rather like a hospital, does new Scotland Yard. Not far away down the misty river, there's a great clock. As three persons sit in a small official room. Mr. Leslie... Why don't you tell us the truth? Inspector, I have told you the truth. So is old Scratch here. Ah, every word of it. Let's face it, Mr. Leslie. You killed Morgan, and you don't seem to understand the law here. How do you mean? To kill a wanted man, even a murderer, is just as serious an offense as killing the prime minister. I can't help you if you say you didn't kill him. But I can get you off scot-free if you admit you did it in self-defense. Look, Inspector. I never set eyes on Morgan except when he walked through that shop. Scratch never saw him at all. I never stirred out of the chair for one second. Scratch never left me. Never even took his hands off me for a second. Neither of us did it. Then who killed Morgan? I don't know. The door was bolted on the inside. The window was locked. How could anyone get in? I just don't know. You don't think a ghost got in and killed him? Well, what do you think happened? I know what happened. Oh? Oh, yes. You rather thought you and Morgan would try to corner each other. You were both in Fleet Street within 20 yards of each other when those police whistles blew. And you lost both of us. What happened in the meantime? You and Morgan met at the barbers. There was a fight and you killed him unintentionally. I killed him with what? With his own razor. We found it in the cupboard. Then you bribed old Scratch to keep his mouth shut. Ian, uh, Inspector... Easy, Scratch. Stop rocking back and forth. <laughs> I'd like to tangle up me hair and pull it out by the roots. I'd like to stand on the track with a engine coming. I'd like to... Lummy... 
Ain't there any justice? Morgan was loaded with money, carried a thousand quid in an oilskin tobacco punch. It wasn't on his body. If you gave it to Scratch and Scratch hid it in the confusion after we broke in... You know, Inspector, I've been wrong about this whole thing. Oh. That's better. Oh, another way you mean. I thought my big trouble would be to prove my identity. But you don't doubt my identity. Or do you? I don't know. But officially, until your wife identifies you... That's what I've been asking all night and you won't answer. Where is Brenda? Well, sir, the fact you is... You haven't got her locked up somewhere. No, of course not. The fact is, we can't find her. Isn't she at the hotel? No. Your wife left the hotel just after you did. Brenda left the... Where'd she go? To 96 Street Street. She... How do you know that? The real entrance to 96 is at the back, up a flight of stairs past the barber's window. One of our men saw her there... Then lost her. You mean Morgan may have seen her before he came into the shop and, and attacked them? Uh, Mr. Leslie, you're the one who's got to take it easy. Just sit down, gentle-like. Do you see now why you've got to give up this crazy story that you didn't kill Morgan and that you and old Scratch were never out of each other's sight? But it's true. Don't you see what I want to know? Did Morgan kill your wife? I want to know whether there was any blood on the razor before you fought Morgan. This, as they say in the nursery books, is an office. That's a filing cabinet. You are smoking a pipe. Better hold on to things because they're getting blurred. Blast you, I never fought, Morgan. Want to think it over for a while? Brenda's dead. That's what you're saying. Don't start to object. That's what you're intimating. And if Brenda's dead, on the course of it... Chief Inspector... Sergeant, keep out of here. I told you not to... Yes, sir, but I couldn't help it. She's here. She's been in the ante room listening to every word you've said. Who's here? Mrs. Leslie... She says she wants to give herself up. Bill! Bill! Please stay where you Brenda. are, Mrs. Leslie. You want to give yourself up? No. Not for murder. Oh, I'm so horribly frightened and mixed up. I don't know what I did say. But I had to talk to you. Because I saw the murder committed. You saw it from where? From outside the window, on the back stairs. Oh, Bill, darling, I got there before you did. You had to ask directions at the beginning. I, I saw you come in. Into the barbershop? Yes. But I think I'd have known what happened, even if I hadn't seen it. Are you one of our women detectives, Mrs. Leslie? Oh, please, Mr. Radford. It's because I am a woman that I'd have noticed. You're too used to it. Bill thinks that that man you call Old Scratch was never out of his sight for a moment. But he's forgotten something. Forgotten what? You've forgotten there were 30 seconds when you had a hot towel over your face and eyes. Sergeant, better grab our friend Scratch's arms. Quick. Get him away, Hardy! Please! Get him safe, Go on, Mrs. Leslie. Well, he, he went to the cupboard. He opened the door only partly and, and slashed inside. He dropped the razor inside and came back with an oilskin pouch of money. He put the money under a trap in the cork floor. It took less than 30 seconds, if you timed it. It's a pity I ain't got another razor. Old Scratch never misses with a razor. Better put the cuffs on him, Sergeant. You see, I already guessed he was an accomplice of Morgan's. You what? Bill, you're so adventurous you won't use common sense. He was reading an evening paper with pictures of Morgan and you too. But he said he'd never heard of Morgan. You spoke first, so he knew you were the American. And he saw a way of killing his partner, Morgan, for the money. If he just dropped that razor in the cupboard, the police would think it belonged to Morgan, wouldn't they? I'm afraid they would. Only I'm an awful coward. I'm so paralyzed I couldn't even scream. 
Somebody chased me. Maybe it was the police. And I fainted in some old woman's room. I... Oh, Inspector. May I go to my husband now? You may, Mrs. Leslie. With the apologies of the CID. Bill, please take me away from London before your sense of adventure starts again. I don't understand these detective stories. And so, in rather a pleasant vein, I end my story of the husband who sought trouble and the wife who got him out of it. And as I, Dr. Fabian, ship surgeon of the Mauravania, sit here in my cabin, B-13, remembering this story, I wonder what other memories of strange and sinister happenings will come back as we touch at the other ports of our world cruise. I hope to greet you again next week in cabin B-13. docks at Cherbourg, Dr. Fabian will bring you from his cabin, B-13, a story in which he himself plays a small part. A tale with not quite so pleasant an ending as tonight's, a strange adventure which he calls The Man Who Couldn't Be Photographed. Cabin B-13 is created and written by John Dixon Carr, outstanding mystery novelist in both England and America, who is also famous as Carter Dixon. These Dr. Fabian stories are all newly written for you by Mr. Carr and have not appeared before on the air or in printed form. Dr. Fabian is played by Arnold Moss, and on tonight's drama, Joseph Curtin played Bill Leslie, with Naomi Campbell as Brenda, and William Podmore as Jenkins. The music is composed and conducted by Merle Kendrick. Cabin B-13 is edited by Charles S. Monroe. And the productions are directed by John Dietz. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, time's run out for the OTR Now radio program. Be sure to visit our website, where you can find all sorts of old-time radio for your enjoyment, at www.otrnow.com. Tune in next time when we present more of this great old-time radio. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Rick Radke. We'll be back again. We hope you'll be back, too. So long. For more information on our programming, please visit www.otrnow.com. Email us at otr at starcreations.com or write us at P.O. Box 17148. Long Beach, California, 90807. OTR Now is a registered trademark of Star Creations. This is a Star Creations production. All rights reserved.